it's so important that you're kind with the people that you work with, especially in stressful situations. You gotta fire quick and you have to hire slow is what I found out. Hello, my fellow Martians. My name is Harry Mars, and this is the On Mars Pod, where we take a deep dive into creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and other inspiring Martians alike. And I really use music, like most people, as a form of catharsis. And it's not the kind of confidence that's going to turn into cockiness, it's the kind of confidence that's going to turn into wisdom. And I think I got like five to six gigs a month. The first month that I got got with them, they give me like six gigs the next month. And I'm like, well, I'm going to quit my job. Hello, my fellow Martians. Today on Mars, we are joined by a professional musician who has been playing professionally since the age of 17. Everybody, welcome. Wyatt Berry, thank, thank you, you so much for coming in, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. And this guy is a newly released recording artist. So this episode is going to come out a little after we're recording it. But in September, he will release his first single, Hold On. Um, so I'm super stoked to get into it because you are mm. a producer, you're a recording artist. Mm. And um, I guess I want to start by kind of uh, prefacing when I say you've been playing music professionally since the age of 17. 17 was so technically... I think my first paid gig was when I was, I could have been early as 15. I'm, my memory is terrible, but it's, it's like 15, 16. I think I was late 15, 16. And I played once at this place called Squid Ink Sushi Bar in Peoria. It's near my dad's house. And um, I played there and I'd play there like once every couple of months. And then um, basically I didn't do much. I, I really was only playing gigs professionally getting paid for gigs like every few months and then i got done with high school and i i did a semester of community college and then i went to audio school i went to crass here in tempe and mesa so the conservatory of recording arts and sciences and then um after that i did an internship in west hollywood in, in la i worked at westlake studios oh wow um, that's where Michael Jackson did his first solo record. It's where Rihanna did Anti. Um, Chainsmokers record there. It's a pretty big studio. I was there for I was there for a three month internship, and then I got hired on after three months. And then after three months, I ran out of money and I got fired from my job. Oh no! <laughs> I, had, I had to go home in yeah. LA too. Ah. Uh, well, I learned a lot um, from other artist friends and other engineering producing friends and just people maneuvering in the industry and kind of how the shit works but um i don't want to live there at all i have zero desire to and this was i was 19 i'm 26 now so this and and basically after i i failed i failed out of la i thought i was done i was like i'm i'm never going to do music again not never i i always thought i was going to do music but i I, it kind of seemed like um i was unemployed for like seven to eight months after i got back just Uh, like super depressed because like I went to audio school. I got like my dreamer internship in West Hollywood, NLA. I thought that I was like, I'm exactly where I need to be doing exactly what I need to do. It was just really hard and I failed. And then I was like, fuck, I'm I'm done. And then I was kind of in the, I was, and then I worked for cold beers and cheeseburgers for like six years. And then I started doing music full time when I met Cash. Nice. Last uh, February. 
Cool, man. And now Cash is one of my full-time drummers and uh, he's my manager. That's awesome. And man. he's also a great friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. So, I mean, that's kind of like in a nutshell how like the professional comes into play because it's really like professional. Not only you are making money off of music, but you are classically trained in the sense where you went to school. Yeah. You had the internship in the studio. You got hired at a studio. You were, you were doing it as a professional in the industry. I yeah. Guess, and know, then all so. the, all, all through growing up, my mom was a massive um, proponent of me doing music. And at one point in, in high school, I had uh, a vocal coach, a drum teacher and a piano teacher all at the same time. Like my mom wow. was, and she was paying for it all by herself too. Wow, man. That's amazing. I mean, so let's get into that too. Cause, because you grew up in Utah. I so I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up in Northern Arizona. Okay, so you were born. Do you know in where Utah? Sholo is? I I don't really know where it is, but I kind of. You, know you know where Flagstaff? Is? Yes, for sure. So forty five minutes, an hourish outside of Flagstaff, there's a there's a town called Sholo. Yes, I think it's like northeast. My geography is terrible, but it's like very very north rural Arizona, cornerish, and then fifteen minutes from that small town is an even smaller town called Snowflake. <laughs> and then next to that small town is an even smaller town called Taylor. <laughs> essentially. Um, I think there is something like 3,500, 4,000 people in the whole town when I was growing up there. Okay. I, there's, there's a decent amount. There's a stoplight there now. I think maybe two. But um, there wasn't a lot of people there when I was growing up. Oh, yeah. man. So, um, I, so talking about Utah, so you, grew, you didn't grow up in Utah, but you were born. When did you leave Utah? So when I, So my parents got divorced when I was three. Okay. And my mom moved into my grandma's basement. In Arizona. In Arizona. In okay. northern Arizona. In Taylor. So yeah, so all you really know is AZ. Pretty much. I know. I would say I did a decent amount of traveling. I actually got a really cool opportunity to go to Egypt with my grandma and my dad okay. when I was 11. Nice. Were but, you living there though? No. Not okay. At all. Oh, you like, mean living? I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> living. So yeah. living. It was like northern Arizona um, until like the third grade, and then I moved to Casa Grande. I okay. lived in Casa Grande until like the seventh grade, and then eighth grade all throughout high school, I was in Peoria Glendale area. I see. So that's when you were in the valley because that's when you were Precisely. really like really getting my into dad, the music heavy heavy growing up. Yes. My first instrument was drums. So I played drums before I did anything else. And I was still living, uh, I think, in Cassie Grand at the time. My dad had almost always lived in the valley. Okay. Um, and my grandma bought me a drum set, but it was only at my dad's house. So I could only go there and play it like every other weekend. But I was really passionate about it when I did play. Like I'd play it for hours. And then eventually, I got a drum set at my mom's house. I played that thing for like five to eight hours a day. And then... Freshman year of high school, I sold my drum set, bought a guitar, tried to learn how to sing and play guitar. Wow. Yeah. So it was uh, it was on both sides. Your mom and your dad were both very supportive of the For music. sure. That's For amazing. sure. Yeah, no, my, my, my both, my parents were super supportive. Yeah. I think my mom was the one who was giving like a ton of financial support in terms mm -hmm. of paying for the lessons. And like, she was really receptive. She'd always listen to me when I wanted to like play songs for her and like bounced ideas off of her growing up, like. My mom was definitely that person who was super, super supportive. That's so important early on. So important. Yeah. As a, I, as a musician. Yeah. I tell her all the time. Like, I, I tell her all the time I would not be doing what I do now if it weren't for her. Like, I definitely didn't think without being, like, at least a little bit famous or having some type of notoriety or knowing someone, it'd be almost virtually impossible to make a really decent living playing music live as a musician. But I, mean, I figured out how to do it, which was, like, 
I'm I'm like still in disbelief, honestly. Like, yeah, man. I love it. It's like probably super fulfilling for her and your dad to see. For that sure, yeah, like, for sure. See you out here doing it. Yeah, now I play like twenty five to thirty times a month. Uh, check out my calendar at wyattberry.net. W y a t t b a r r y dot net. Um, we'll put the I play twenty. Right yeah, thank you, thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. I play um twenty five to thirty times a month in the valley. If you're in the valley, please come check me out. Support local music. Anyway, sorry. No, that's good, man. I mean, 25 to 30, I'm glad you kind of said that because 25 to 30 months, that's like 25 to 30 times a month. Yeah, it's a lot. It's and a it, lot. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, usually I'm not playing anything. Okay. Um, And the, weekend the heavy. how it adds up to 30, yeah, is sometimes I'll do like two on a Friday or two on a Saturday. Okay. When I first started with cash and we didn't really understand my limit, there were a few <laughs> days, there was like a weekend where I had, I sang six hours because they're usually like three to four hour gigs. gigs yeah. Most of the time it's three hour gigs. Sometimes they're four hours. Split up in like sections. There's breaks. Yeah. There's right, like right. 10, to, there's one to two, 10 to 15 minute breaks, which is nice. But singing for three hours is a lot. Yes. Sure. And I'm singing the whole time. I'm not really, I'm, I'm decently good at like playing guitar, but I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an instrumentalist. I'm more of like a, anyway, what was I saying? Totally lost track. Um, we were talking about uh, the 30, uh, 25, 30 shows a uh, week. Oh, month, and yeah, saying, yeah. Like, and there was it. this one weekend yeah. where literally I played, I played two three-hour shows on a Friday. The Saturday, I played three shows in a day where it was, like a, it was like a brunch thing. I did a cocktail hour for a wedding, and then I did a late-night gig. And I think that was, in total was like, like nine hours of singing. And then the next day I had, I had two more gigs. Damn. So in 72 hours, I sang for almost like a full day or something. Or like more than half a day. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of hours. Was, for sure. And I was, I was destroyed. And I had to cancel a gig because my throat was so rough. And, oh. and it was just a point where Cash and I were like, when we we're looking at my schedule and we're booking me between all the different booking agencies and our private clients. We're just going to be like, there is a limit. <laughs> For sure. You yeah. push the threshold a little too far. For sure. Yeah. But hey, well, it's cool that you hit that limit and you know that's like, well, we can scale back a little bit. And that's the exactly. 25, 30. That's where you kind of Exactly. Landed. Yeah. Because I'm like, if, <laughs> and honestly, that is the number. Like, because yeah. we had a month where I played, I think, 32 gigs in one month. And I was just beat by the end. And I was like, I understand what I'm doing and I love what I'm doing right now. But I quit like yeah. I, like i don't i can't this is not not sustainable sustainable <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick i'm gonna start this timer just so we know go for it go for it please it's funny because every time i do an episode almost it's like i figure out a way to like do something better next time so it's just like this That's is like the, the product is, of like for multiple sure. evolutions of this show for sure i feel the same <laughs> way about like when i'm tearing down or setting up for for shows Cause I also do all my own audio. Like I do everything. Nice. And, um, and it takes a minute to set up, especially cause my, my setup's a little, well, you're a producer. You have an Apollo twin right there. Mm-hmm. I use an Apollo twin live. Oh, nice. That's Very how I, good. that's how I run my, my vocal chain and my guitar chain. Nice. And then I just take the monitor outs and I plug them either into their, their sound system or I'll plug my, my left or right. I'll run it mono and then I'll put my, my left or my right into the, the house, the house system. Too. And then I'll take a right or a left and I'll make it a wedge. Nice, and I'll dude. just have like a little thing, and then I also run an in-ear mix, which is super easy with the Apollo. That's cool. Yeah, I love it, dude. In my opinion, anyone who is doing what I'm doing, if you want to do it full time, you want to be as professional as possible. I feel like that's the tool for sure. The Apollo, bar none. Yeah, you could get a $500 silver, um, not even a Twin X, is one card in it, and you could it it would run everything, and it, it runs old analog plugins. 
um, that sound old analog plugins. It runs old analog gear as plugins. It's like emulation. Do, do you know about emulation of at course, all? Of course. Of okay, course. Cool. Yeah. And uh, do, so do you run all uh, like the UAD plugins that they, I mean, because you have to buy that because if anyone doesn't Expensive. know, it's kind of like, it's an investment. You'll it's spend a thousand dollars on the interface. And then and you'll spend another thousand plugins. More. <laughs> more than a thousand. Straight up. Especially on plugins. Yeah. But my thing is, is though, I, so I gig so much with my Apollo twin. I recently had one kind of shit the bed on me. Oh no. But it was covered under warranty. Hell yeah. So I sent it back, but I had to keep gigging. So I had to buy another one. Mm-hmm. And because I bought another one, they usually do like this heritage edition or they'll do like a promo where it gives you a ton of free plugin. They'll give you like, it'll give you like at cost how much the, the interface is worth of plugins. It'll give you like $1,500, $2,000 worth of plugins, which yeah, is amazing. That's the way. But also everything's a subscription service now too. So, excuse me, UAD has um, UAD has a subscription service where you can get access to like thirty to forty thousand dollars worth of plugins, which is sick. But also, I kind of don't feel like um, doing the subscription for service. Also, I don't think you can use the plugins with the subscription service without Wi-Fi. Right. I don't know for sure, Offline. but I'm pretty yeah. Yeah. And I need I, I can't do that. You know? Well, I mean, I think you're right because they would have to double check have to, to make verify. sure you have the subscription. That's that's the, what yeah. the the inter- whole interface is is based around is is licenses for softwares for proprietary yeah. UAD softwares. Exactly, and that's kind of like the it's it's funny because like you can't use UAD software or uh yeah software on non UAD hardware. Uh, it's which proprietary, is, which is so funny. It's like the Apple way. It is <laughs> exactly it is. that. But they also got us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean it's how, industry standard. How good is UAD? It's so good. You, know, you, <laughs> you literally have you have for a few thousand dollars, you have the power of like an SSL old gray analog board from the fifties. You have the power of like you, uh, you can emulate so many different bases. I'm I'm going to start. Uh, this is starting to turn into a, a sponsored ad for <laughs> UAD. <laughs> Hey man, <laughs> but I do love their stuff. Yes, very much so, dude. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they're industry standard, and it's precisely. Like, yeah, it's cool that you've you've been able to like take that not only because I'm sure you use that for like recordings at your house as well. Of course, and recording yeah. with other artists, and yeah. also just letting my artist friends know what they can do live. Like I, I have a ton of friends who who do live shows, and like they are good vote. They're not good vocalists. They're great vocalists. They put on a great performance, but. Much like a guitarist has a pedal board, I really feel like a vocalist should have an Apollo twin. <laughs> yeah. I'm like just yeah, being totally no, honest. Right. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. know, like, especially a rapper, if you're if you're running like if you're like a Bryson Tiller or you're like a someone who wants like a very specific amount of, of pitch correction and you also want to have some distortion effects and some format and pitch shift pitch shift effects, like the only thing that's gonna let you do that real time with low to no absolutely no latency, latency yeah. is UAD. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, dude. No, that's amazing. It's, uh, I mean, doing 25, 30 shows a month, you need some like high t- top tier uh, quality like equipment if For you're sure. gonna do that. For sure, and that it, volume, and it, and it and it stuck with me. Oh, and to the point I was making, um, I I've had two of them, and one I think one of them. So I had total channel failure. Channel one and channel two just were giving me buzzing noise. They weren't working at all, and I sent it in. They fixed it, and. I think what it was is I was playing a ton of summer gigs outside when there's misters in AZ in AZ <laughs> and it's 110 to 115 degrees yeah. and the aluminum shell of the Apollo twin is already a heat sink. It's already supposed to get hot. Yeah. You, you, you put 115 degree heat on top of that. Like, dude, it's almost like you got to no have bueno. like a case that's like shaded. I've been 
I've been thinking about that. <laughs> like and I know for a fact touring artists have have like they have to cooler. Well, like gamer ga- uh, gaming PCs have have water cooled stuff. Like I guarantee you, there's like server racks, like Avid or or um, UAD server racks for live performances that can run a ton of chips that are like cooled down by like a refrigeration system or so they, they totally. have to have that if they're playing shows in like Bali and LA, which they are. Yeah. And they have to have that. It's 2023. Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah. So there's a, um, a couple artists I kind of stumbled upon that were um, noted as like your influences, like Bill Withers and Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of touch on that. And is there a reason why those specific artists stand out? Is that what you were kind of hearing when you were growing up is what were your pl- parents playing when you were growing up? So, yes, I love Bill Withers, but I wouldn't say he's like massive, massive influence. And I love Foo Fighters. I think it's just um, those were probably the artists that you're given by cash. You cash uh, well, I found it online. Oh, so you I, did? Yeah, okay, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. That's just like what's on my website and we need to update it. And I'm so sorry. But I do love Bill Withers. I love the Foo Fighters. Okay, Don't get me wrong. Okay. Shout on both out those, those artists. But I would say I would say if we had to do like, say, my biggest influence would probably be Dallas Green of City and Color. Okay. Do you know who City in Color is? I haven't listened, but I've know another in, band. Yeah. Incredible band. Um, in insane songwriting, hauntingly beautiful male vocal. Um, Foo Fighters, massive influence. Loved Dave Grohl. Loved mm-hmm. him in Nirvana. Obviously, loved him as um, the front man of of Foo Fighters. Um, I actually got to see Foo Fighters um, live, like I think a year before Taylor Hawkins passed. So that was wow. that was a really cool experience for sure. I went with my dad. Took like 150 milligrams of of edibles. <laughs> had like a few sake bombers before we went in there. Fun time, dude. Great. Probably one of their last shows before he passed, Matt. Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah, that's an experience. I super super lucky to and fortunate to have been been able to see Taylor Hawkins, and I I I never really I know in in the rock and roll lifestyle there's there's always people doing drugs and whatnot and struggling with it, but on the outside it didn't really seem like Taylor Hawkins was struggling with it like that. Not at all. Or you know, like it just goes to show like you never know. Yeah, he you, wasn't very public. Either. Of course. Yeah, he was a very private dude. It seems like you know yeah. he was. I think a lot of people from that era are. Yeah, for sure. But I say in, it go, to go back to influences, uh, it'd probably be I'd, high school. Massive for me was um, Childish Gambino and Tyler the Creator. Oh yeah, oh, massive yeah. for me. Um, Banks, I love. I love female R and B. Female R and B is like a, a genre I'm super passionate about. Something I want to really try to get into producing too. Um, so, uh, what were your parents playing in the house? Like, did, did they play music? I got most of my influence from my older sister. From the I got, older sister, I got nice. some from my mom. Like, I listened to this, like, there's a Celine Dion song or two that I liked that my mom used to listen to. Hell yeah! And my dad would listen to like fucking dad rock, like Pearl Jam and fucking the good sh- with arms wide open. Creed, <laughs> all that. Yeah. Sh- yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. my shit. I loved that. <laughs> um, but I would say I got most of my I got City in Color from my sister. My older sister showed me City in Color, my favorite band of all time. My older sister, we were sharing music all the time. Like we we both will, she literally, she does this. Um, she loves new music so much that she'll go through her Spotify Discover and like radio. And then she realized, oh, she can go through other people's <laughs> Spotify Discoveries and she'll go to mine. It'll be like, did you listen to this one on your on your weekly Discover? And I'm like, I didn't even listen to it yet. And she's like, Oh, you gotta check out this song. <laughs> but we're throwing songs back and forth I all the time. It. And she really got me into like, like a day to remember. Um, fucking some. What, what were some of the old good indie bands? Spoon, Menomina, um, Hockey. 
These are like a lot of old eclectic indie bands. Maybe not Spoon as much. Spoon's pretty big. Um, do you know? Because um, I see like Tame Impala. I saw that. Oh yeah. Do you know? Um, oh, the name's evading me right now. Oh fuck. Oh, Two Door Cinema Club. I've heard the name. I don't. I've really never, good. Yeah, yeah. A lot like the the Strokes. I don't want to com- directly compare them to the Strokes, but yeah, love the strokes. similar. Yeah, yeah. If you like the record Machu Picchu by the Strokes, you mm. should check out the Pyramid by Two Door Cinema Club. Fuck yeah. yeah! And they're a bit newer. They're not an old, super eclectic indie, indie band. They're actually pretty good. They're pretty pretty popular now. But I Two Door Cinema Club is like really cool band. If you like Vampire Weekend, if you like, oh yeah, for sure, yeah. Vampire Weekend's great. Kind of like way. indie punk-ish. Yeah. That, yeah. okay, high school yeah. for me too, Vampire Weekend was massive. Yeah. And like, Grizzly Bear. Do you remember Grizzly Bear? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I didn't listen to Grizzly Bear, but a, like A-Punk, Vampire Weekend, like yeah. I remember like, yeah, for sure. Or Oxford comma. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that. Porchata. That era of music was just different. So good. Yeah, I love it. How older, how much older is your sister, or is she younger? She's older. She's older. She's my older sister. It, you guys, I'm gonna look like a bad brother. I think she's 31. Okay, 31. So just like a few years older than you, then four or five years. Old. Four or five years. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's kind of cool because I'm sure growing up that that was like um, something where you were able to kind of experience what like like um, growing up with older siblings, like mm. that much older. It's almost like you kind of experience things a little bit differently through, through them, through them yeah. because they're living. Well, I'm listening to the music that they would have listened exact. to when they were in high school instead of me listening to Whatever. what everyone else is the listening, listening to, to that in high your school. Age. Yeah, exactly. I did a little bit of that, yeah. but I did take a lot of me- like Banks, but my favorite female R&B artist of all time or one of, I should say, uh, my sister introduced me to nice Banks. And my sister also loves a lot of female R&B and that's, that's a lot of what we're sending back and forth. Do you know sure. Dijon? Have you heard? Have you heard Dijon? Oh, uh, D I J O N, like yes. mustard. Yes, for sure. My homie Casey showed me. I'm sure. Him. Did he show yeah. you the dress? Uh, I don't know you the know names. It takes a long time to get ready. That song. Oh man, if I heard it this all, song, if I saw the video, because he showed me so much of it that I don't oh, know the names you, of it. I'm sure he showed you big bikes then. Pro- probably. That's the uh, performance where they're like in the in house, the room in the soundstage. Yeah. Yes, big mics. If yeah. you haven't, check out Big Mike's on YouTube. Yeah, it's one of the thumbnail right fucking, here. It's the most in it's one of the most incredible live performances that I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. Yeah. It was so moving when I first watched it. Yeah. Is that the one where it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh fuck. Uh, You're challenging. This is one of my favorite songs on the album, and I should just know how to sing it. You keep Oh, I'm I, I'm blanking on the song. It's Big Mike's. That's a good one. I dude. need to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to kill me. No, it's okay. We can move on. <laughs> no, dude. Dijon kills it. Though, D- Dijon's so good. Yeah. Dijon is so, so good. Yeah, man. No, I feel like uh, he's kind of one of those artists that's like still kind of coming up, but it's like he's big in the scene that he is because I didn't know anything about him. But then once I found out about him, I found out that like, he's a very private. A lot of people know him. He's a, he's a very. Yeah. So he's he's like well-respected in in like the concert goer music fans because there's a lot of music fans that only observe peripherally online they listen to their music they mm-hmm. consume it online but they don't go to live shows anyone who, who's seen Dijon live knows that he, he murders live yeah and I think that translates to fans really well when they know that you can put on a really good live performance it keeps I think it keeps fans a lot longer than a lot of people are used to especially because it's like we're in the TikTok age of where you could have a song blow up on TikTok and a song never blow up on TikTok again, you know, where it's just, it's like, it's like the one hit wonder, but like condensed into like 
a, a week span where like your song blows up for a week you get a ton of plays but then nothing after that yeah and when you when you're a really great live performer people respect your artistic message i feel like there's way more longevity in it you know what i mean absolutely yeah and i think that's a great point that you bring up because like if someone sees you live and follows you on social media mm -hmm. a lot of times they're going to continue to watch your stuff exactly for years you know to what i come. mean as opposed to someone doing like some type of, and I'm going to be doing this too. I'm going to try some viral marketing campaigns. I'm trying to get into the, the TikTok and Reels. Um, uh, follow me, Wyatt Berry, W-Y-A-T-T-B-A-R-Y <laughs> on Instagram. I forget my TikTok right now, but it's just my name and probably music, Wyatt Berry Music. Handles right here. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I respect the viral marketing campaigns. I think do that. Do that too. I'm not talking down anyone who does the viral marketing campaigns any of the quote-unquote cringe videos that people like to do to promote their music if it's promoting your music it's promoting your music but i'd fucking love the big mic video from the dijon music video mm -hmm. and you know I, I feel like a really good artist could probably do both and i've seen good artists do both but dijon only does one and so it's like there is like a, a part of you as an artist it's like i just want to hire someone to do on my social media and be a, a recluse and just focus on music. But it's like, it's so not realistic for 99% of everyone. Yeah. And there's a lot of artists that I respect that also do the fucking like, uh, you know, who I really respect um, is um, logic. Oh, I feel like yeah. what logic does online oh, with the, yeah. what he does with his discord, what he does with um, his music, how he promotes it, how he interacts with his fans. A lot of people might consider corny or cringy but it's also kind of like fuck off you're not even his target demographic anyway if you think that and he's gonna and i mean this in a positive way he's gonna farm his fans for um releasing good merch releasing good music and all those all those people are going to participate in in what he's producing and what he's farming for them for sure farming all that good content 100 <laughs> percent, dude and i mean i think logic is a great a great example because it's like he's authentic man mm -hmm. and he's always been authentic and he's always been true to his story he's really like never really gave a fuck about what other people think mm -hmm. and it's just like he's always gone through like always the uh, uh i guess i don't know if adversity is the right word but there's always been like logic this logic that logic this logic that like because of the whole black white thing i'm biracial what, the, the what biracial great thing? memes what gr can we just talk about how good those memes are though they are great and, and, they him, are great. and him leaning into it also g fucking move for sure but that's like that's part of his his personality and his like character as a human which is like make more I into his authenticity i love that he doesn't give like, a fuck he doesn't I give a fuck it. it's just yeah. like people understand like this dude is real to the core and he doesn't care what anyone thinks even if it's just like yeah. Even if it's affecting his money, you know, it's like a Dave Chappelle move. Where and it's, it's so like, funny. My older brother kind of looks like him a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. I'll send you a photo of my, my older brother so you yeah, guys can look brother. side by side. Him. <laughs> Does, well, is he like like young Bobby Sinatra? Or no, he like looks like dad a man. Bob. Yeah, he dad, looks like dad, dad Bobby. Because my, my brother did dad, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> dad bod Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Dad Bob. Dad, dad Bob. bod Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking say that five times fast. Um, so you started playing drums and then you transitioned to guitar when you were a freshman cool. in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so playing guitar early on, I'm assuming that it was playing covers, of course, learning songs yeah. that you loved, like anyone. The first song, so there's two songs that I learned. One song I'm going to play for you later is Coming Home by City and Color. It's technically the second or third song that I ever learned on guitar, but it's my favorite to play by far. Um, it's one of my favorite to play at gigs. Um, I just think it's one of the best 
alternative blues songs that's ever been written on the face of the planet. And then the, the very, very first song that I ever learned to sing and play on guitar was Two Coins by Dispatch. Another big influence. I think they're a little pre-high school. Mm-hmm. High school is a little bit more determinative of the music that you're going to continue to listen to after high school. Yes. Um, but Dispatch, definitely still a huge influence. And they're more like singer, songwriter, reggae. Where, I don't even know where, where I would put put the genre, but it's some... Oh, kind of like a more acoustic sublime. Okay. Yeah. Or like yeah. A, like dirty heads or something. Like yeah, that. I can kind of picture it. And there, I'll show you uh, on the way out. Um, cool. But it's a great fucking band. Dispatch, yeah. amazing. And a lot of their a lot of their revenue for their early records went to um, this uh, place in Zimbabwe called Section Seventeen, where a lot of kids are born with like HIV and AIDS, and they send a lot of like like what do you call it? Welfare. They send a, they send a lot of donations and support. Proceeds. Like a majority yeah. of the money that they made on tour and, and on their records went to section 17 in Zimbabwe, which when I heard that, I was like, what the, f-? then they're not even that big. So it's like, they have to be living extremely modest lives for sure to be able to, to do that at the time. And I don't know how long they did that for, but any amount of time that they did that for is extremely respectable in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that shows a lot about what kind of people they are in the band. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so those artists were the first ones that you started learning. Um, so growing up, cause I started playing guitar when I was, you know, mm-hmm. in sixth grade. Um, so I was playing like ultimate guitar.com all the time. I can't like, read tabs. Oh, so you know, ever we're reading tabs. No, okay. I really, I'm just, and I, I learned how to read music for piano when I was really young. I grew up Mormon. Okay. All Mormons take anyone who's Mormon. You grew up taking piano lessons. <laughs> Everyone took piano lessons when you were really young. Don't lie. Cause you know, you were, <laughs> everyone fucking did it. You're a Mormon. You're an ex Mormon. You know, you took fucking piano lessons. Um, I took piano lessons. I learned how to read and write music a little bit. And then I just kind of wasn't into it at the time. I was yeah. too young. I didn't, I didn't really experience that artistic spark that early. And I really didn't pick up music until after I got good at drums when I was like 11, 12 years old. But later, I tried to come back to reading music, and I, it, I, I can learn chords. I can learn chords like so a motherfucker. Chords. That's how you. Learn. I'm a muscle memory and patterns type of guy. Yeah. I know. I know like a peripheral, small amount of music theory enough to get by, and then I know chords. I know feel. Shapes. I started with drums, mm-hmm. rhythm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like I'm pretty good with my words, where I can communicate things to the other artists that I work with. I have like a couple different bassists, a couple different drummers, because I play so many shows um, a month. It's hard to find pe- most of the people that I play with aren't full time musicians like me and Cash, um, so they can't make every show if I play that many times. Mm-hmm. So naturally, I need other people, and a lot of the people that I work with read music. They read tabs. They're excellent, super professional musicians, and I have enough of a voca- vocabulary to effectively communicate with them. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool that you were still able to learn songs just by hearing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just like figuring out the chords. I feel like that's kind of the songwriter cop out where it's like you learn how to write songs good enough and then you never learn anything else again. <laughs> and it's bad. One day I will learn to read and write music because I don't want to stay like this forever. But I do know a fuck ton of singer songwriters that are like just no chords, just know how to sing and that's it. But they still get by pretty well. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know Pharrell, right? <laughs> yeah, I know Pharrell. <laughs> Yeah, he was over at my house last week. Yeah. Well, okay, so Pharrell. I know sorry, yeah, I'm being so, a dick. <laughs> I don't know why, but when you said it like that, it made me feel like you were like, you know Pharrell. You know? <laughs> but yes, I know Pharrell. Yes, so you know of Pharrell. And yeah. Pharrell, uh, he had an interview one time, and uh-huh. he was talking about how like um, some people are like classically trained, and they know theory, and mm-hmm. it's just like they know everything on paper and stuff like that, but they don't have the feel. 
just and a big then, difference. And I know people with both. Op- I, know, yeah. I know people with there's one, people I know with people with both. other. Exactly. And it's just like, there's like a mix of like, it's almost like a wet dry knob. You know what I'm saying? Where it kind of is. Like, where it's like, it might not be all it's like one way or the other. It's very few people who can have both. Very few. Because a lot of people put themselves in a box by learning all those things. And yeah. I feel like there is, a lot of artists in terms of songwriting, when you're, when you're, when you're practicing songwriting, nothing to release, but you're just practicing it, you will naturally put limitations on yourself. I have to write a minute. I have to write an, I'm going to write a song in, in five minutes right now. Just see what you come up with just for practice. I'm going to write a whole song without the letter E. I'm going to, I'm going to write a song with this rhyme scheme. I'm going to, you, you put a ton of limitations on yourself to, um, to create something and you end up making low key better stuff than when you don't put limitations on yourself. Mm. Limitations on art to a certain extent can elevate it. I, I really believe. And I think there's, there's a certain creative wisdom to, ignorance if you don't read tabs or read music yeah there's like there's you can kind of go anywhere with it because you don't know what you're doing so you wouldn't know where to go to begin with you know yeah it's exactly it's like it's like what feels good what sounds good you know it's like what far more indicative of a flow state you know and Mm -hmm. back in the day beethoven had to go ha 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 you know fucking go through all the notes and, and write them out specifically yeah, for sure. But yeah. it's like back then when there wasn't any music, that's how they learned how to play was just what sounded good. There wasn't anything else. Yeah. It's not like you had you, you had you could go to guitartabs.com and look up the chords for two coins by dispatch <laughs> yeah, and learn exactly. it at fucking 14 years old. Exactly, man. No, yeah. I mean that's amazing. It's almost like a, like you said it almost makes it uh more like uh um true to like the musician in you where it's just like it's like this is just in my in me, you know, it's mm-hmm. not something that like I have to be super analytical about. It's just like, I feel, I feel it. My friends who are very, very professional musicians who play like stringed or brass instruments that have to be classically trained. um, The, there's, there comes a a tipping point when you learn a piece of music where you need to commit it to muscle memory rather than reading memory. Totally. Once it's committed to muscle memory, there's a certain amount of feeling that you can inject into it that I don't think you could have before. I think some people are capable of just injecting the feeling straight off. That's those are people are prodigies. I think when you commit something, to, and this is what I do when, when I finally I'll learn a new cover and be playing it and reading a chart when I'm singing at a gig and it'll sound good and it'll be fine and there's nothing wrong with it. But after I commit it to memory and I'm really in it and I can close my eyes while I'm singing and playing and I can, I can feel what I'm doing. I can like hit new vocal riffs. I can add like a new bridge. I can, I'll, I'll tell one of my guys to solo for a little bit. You know, you get more comfortable with it. You can really explore new options. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's almost like when you're explaining it, it's like that feels like that's the flow state. Exactly. And that's important for, for live performing, especially when you're playing with a group for three hours mm-hmm. and your background music. And you're playing it like I, most of my gigs are at culinary dropouts here in Arizona. Yeah. I play some private gigs. I do some country clubs. I'll, I'll do anywhere that really pays me, honestly. And um, when you got to fill three hours, I love throwing solos to like my one of my bassists or one of my, my drummers and just be like, fucking let's fuck around on this chord progression for the next two to three minutes because, you know, it's it's just easier. It's just it's more fun. It makes the night better. You know, it also makes what I do is a lot of my stuff is is top 40 from my favorite songs, my favorite top 40 from the 60s to like the early 2000s. And there's some newer songs in my set. Um, but a lot of that's like vocal and lyric focused. So the, if you don't make room for it, there's not a lot of spots for 
my drummer or my bassist to shine. So right. it's nice to give him that space to be like solo, fucking yeah. go off, bro. You yeah. know, give him a look, give him a nod while I'm playing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, be directing while you're playing. Exactly, no, I do that all the time. That's I mean, the obviously, yeah. yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, and uh, this, so this is the actual first time that we're meeting, which is so yes, cool. Yes, this and is true. Right before we got first on air, I was telling him uh, this is the first time I'm meeting someone on the pod, so it's like super authentic. But um, so I was doing some research, kind of trying to get an idea, and um, I loved what I heard, man. And it's Thank like you. I love your tones and you sound. I appreciate it, of course, bro. You're like. Because, uh, of course, Cash sent me your stuff. and um, you. I got to show you Hold On, too. Yes, Hold On. I listened to the new single. It's amazing. Thank Everyone you. Everyone go check it out really right now. Yeah. Link right here. Yeah, pre-save uh, <laughs> link. Actually, not pre-save. It's going to be out. It's going to be Fucking, out. That is right. Go yeah. listen to it right now, please. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to say, man, is uh, like I. it just sounds like your vocals are really honed in. Um, were you classically trained with yeah. a vocal trainer? Yeah. You can hear it. Man. I do vocal lessons. Thank you. I do yeah. vocal lessons, too. Okay. Very nice. Um, I do vocal lessons for some of. So I'm. I also engineer produce, and I've been working. I haven't. I haven't worked on a record per se with this group. They're called. Have you heard of Samex? Oh uh, no. They 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 kind of a, a little. They have a bit of a niche following here in Arizona. They put on a live show and they, they'll pack a show out. It's fucking sick. Mm. They put on a great live performance. There's some artists that I work with, and then I do some vocal lessons with. Uh, with one or two of the guys that's awesome man yeah. so um when did you start doing vocal lessons well like just when, recently well like when did oh, you start when did taking I start... vocal lessons yeah, oh, yeah i guess that would be um, the question uh five or six months after i started learning to play guitar i would oh, say so it was early nice man i mean I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just like it sounds very polished, bro. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. I mean, I'm 26 now. I started learning to sing with with a vocal coach and I've had two vocal coaches. Um, when I was 14, so 14 to 26 is more than a decade. <laughs> 12 years, 12 years, <laughs> 12 years. Damn. Terrible dude. math. Yeah. No, that's a uh, that's amazing, dude. Um very cool. Thank you. And um there was a song that I stumbled upon um man, I'm trying to remember the name. I wrote it down, so I'm just going to look at it. Go just, for it. Um just because um I found it and I was like, dude, this is a fucking great song. Was it on my Instagram? No, it was on um it was on YouTube. It was Oh, uh, Busy Girl? It was called Busy Girl. Yeah, dude. that song's coming out too. Called Busy Girl. Hopefully, dude, by the so time good. this pod comes out, uh, Busy Girl will be released. Yeah. So, and if it's not released, go to his YouTube and check out the live performance of him doing it. In I'll this show room. you a few different versions I have of that song before I leave. Cool, man. Yeah, because yeah. I I heard that when I was like, dude, this is cool. Like, because I um something I want to talk about is like you do mo- mainly covers when you're doing your shows because you're covering that's what three I'm hours paid for. And, yeah. and also you're doing three hours worth of content. Technically, it's I like, could with the amount of songs that. I have ready with my band and with me, I could probably do like uh, like an hour and a half hey, of dude. original music, which is, I, is a decent amount. Yeah, it's over a third. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, shit, you, sh- you should start doing that as you start to release your music. You should start promoting my your... sets now are 30 to 40 percent originals. Amazing. And already. the booking agencies book me to play covers and no one said anything because they really like me. So <laughs> we'll see if I can keep fucking doing this. Yeah, we'll, dude. We'll see. For sure. I will. If it, I think it's more so if it sounds good. And people are vibing. It is good. That's it. That's literally the yeah. first rule I learned when I went to Crass. Yeah. If it sounds good, it is good. <laughs> yeah. And I've kept that with me my entire life. For sure, man. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's like the, uh, the, it's not the gear, it's the ear, man. It's like. Actually. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's another great one. And 
honestly, that, I think that's the first time I've ever heard that. Regrettably, I really should have heard that before now. If it's not, it's not the gear, it's the ear. Mm-hmm. And I put so much on my ear because one of my biggest, I do get a lot of compliments after gigs of people coming up to me and saying how much they love my voice, but just as much, if not, maybe even a little bit more, people really appreciate my song selection. Mm. And I think it's, I'm just an Arizona boy grew up with the same music that everyone was listening to in Arizona. And I feel like I have a similar taste. I feel like I have a good ear for what people might like on any given night. I don't know. Absolutely. I've made a decent amount of money doing it so far. So I can at least say that. But I have My Immortal by Evanescence in the set. We got Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers in the set. Mm, Classics. What else do we have as classics? Do you you know the band Chevelle? Uh, yeah, yes, I've heard yeah, Chevelle back in the day. We have yep. Send the Pain by Chevelle in the set, which okay. I fucking love that song. We have what else? We have Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen in the set. We have Landslide by Fleetwood Mac in the set. Yellow by Coldplay. Mm, yep. So it's 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 like a good mix. There's some old, there's some new, there's some like nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's cool like kind of tying back to like the original stuff where it's like you're able to infuse the the originals within exactly. the set. That's really cool. And sweet. they all feel really similar because I do re I do complete rewrites of covers. Yes. I do not play covers this yes. like the original. That's something at all. I want to preface. Like even though he's doing covers, he makes them his own one hundred percent. And you. you have of course, and you have versions of these on songs Instagram right on now, Instagram yeah, and, and Twitter and YouTube. By rather. the time this comes out, there's gonna be a ton more versions on YouTube, uh, Instagram and TikTok of all my covers. So please go check those out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And that's an important part of like anybody that's doing covers, you know, as a cover artist, like make them your own, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Make them your own, make them your own versions. And then they, they really become your song I in a way. I think you do the the original writer of the song more respect by changing it. Yeah. Because totally. if you if you make money, profit or and I do this, I'm a cover artist right now. So but if you make money or profit off of covers, um, you do the artist a big respect by saying you influence me i want to make this my own i love this so much that i want to make it a part of me yeah when you just straight up make money off of someone doing a cover in some way and you're literally just doing it the exact same fucking like you're it's like might as well just fucking turn the radio on you know what i mean yeah maybe i'm pissing some people off but i don't care no well i think that's i think it's a good take bro it might be a hot take but it's a good take take, it's a good take yeah it is don't fucking do the song like the song do it like you you exactly and i think that's more interesting that makes you more of an artist of like your own original artist in a sense it also helps you write songs totally yeah i mean when you're covering songs and you're making them your own anyone who's written changing them up you're i mean it's like i remember when i first started playing drums and there's a few drummers that I really liked. I really liked Neil Peart. I really liked Taylor Hawkins. I really liked Dave Grohl. I really liked um, Travis Barker. There's, a, you can and you can take some of their chops and throw them in with yours. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you're you're an amalgam. You're you're, you're like oh this guy, this drummer is kind of like a cross between like Neil Peart and Travis Barker. He's like he's like if Rush were punk rock, it's kind of fucking cool. I like it. And so you you kind of develop your own style. I feel like you should do that with your covers if you're a cover artist for sure it's like using the cover or the song rather as like a template and then changing the song off the template where it's just like not just just copy pasting you know it's like that's like where it kind of starts to get a little stale yeah where like the artist kind of comes out of the equation and i can totally let me make an exception i can totally understand and i have no qualms with people doing the song exactly how the song was if it's like a corporate event or something because i i do have a ton of friends who play in corporate bands at like corporate events and they are literally paid to do it. 
exactly like them. And that's more so because who's paying them wants them to do exactly. it just like they would be hearing it on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Which also it's like, what a fucking waste of money. These people who do these corporate events. I mean, I hope they hire me. Please hire me. But also you guys are <laughs> fucking stupid. You guys are so dumb. Please spend your money on something else. Spend your money on like real artists. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, wouldn't that be cool? If corporatists, fuck corporatists. If corporate people fucking supported art, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like they hire them as background music, though. So they, they do. don't even. It's they don't do it for so the love true. of the art. You're so right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're so it's, right. Yeah. yeah, I'm making a jump here <laughs> for sure. But it's all good, bro. Because there's like there's uh there's the crowds that appreciate that stuff. And um, and it's like the gigs, For like, sure. at, like culinary. I'm and sure you can get like you get those standout <clears throat> crowds at culinary. For sometime. sure, it's like damn, like they're really fucking with this. For sure, yeah. and then also you have those <laughs> nights where you're eating a whole bag of dicks. You're fucking <laughs> yeah. ripping. Like I'm, I'm ripping on a song. I'm like, I'm killing it right now. The fucking, I end my song. And I look out at the crowd and it says, everyone's just talking amongst themselves or just cool. looking at you. And like, you got to remind yourself, this is the gig, bro. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Still, to this day, I have to remind myself, I've been doing this for a year and a half. A lot of people have been doing it a lot longer than me. And I still have to remind myself, it's like, I'm not bartending anymore. Yeah. I spend the majority of my time doing whatever I want. I make money doing what I love. It's like, you, you as an artist, it's so easy to become complacent. Mm -hmm. And I just started the, 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 the path. So I, I can only imagine where it's going to go, but it's like one of your biggest tools, especially for confidence to give yourself confidence is gratitude. If you can have gratitude for the things that you've accomplished, for the things that you're working on and for the things that you're going to accomplish, it's going to give you so much confidence. And it's not the kind of confidence that's going to turn into cockiness. It's the kind of confidence that's going to turn into wisdom and um, knowing what the fuck you're doing. And being kind to people, which is super, super important because I've seen people who have teams that work with that work with like photographers or models or marketing people. And it's just kind of like, fuck you, whatever I want. You know, what I mean? it's, it's they're just as dehumanizing to their team as like fucking corporations to people who work at McDonald's. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I definitely don't want to be that guy. That's why I try. I try my hardest, even though I have a budget and I have to pay for my own apartment and I have a ton of life expense expenses. Um, and I'd make my only money is coming from music. I still try my hardest to, to pay my bassist, my drummers, what I think they're worth. Um, the people, the models, the photographers that I work with, uh, you know, I, I, it's super important, especially if you're working with other creative people, mm -hmm. you know, you, you want someone to pay you to do what you want to do creatively. Once you get the money to pay people to do things creatively, don't fucking skip on the dollars. Don't try to just buy them lunch. Like, yeah, pay them for the time that they're fucking worth. If they're a good model, they're a good photographer, they're good at social media. Please pay them for what they're worth. They will, they will surprise you with the amount of work that they will do for you. One hundred percent. Yeah, especially if you pay them well from the start. You're right, man. And that's speaking from like a creative's like standpoint. Where it's like, exactly. you got to think about it like that. Where it's like, if this was me, I've recently found this out. I mean, I, it's not like I wasn't paying my people great before, but it's just cash with someone on my team who's just like really adamant about not skimping. Don't cut any corners on, on paying creatives or people that work for us. And you know, if someone doesn't do the work that we think we paid them for, we just don't do it again. And then if someone does do the work that we paid them for, they're usually doing more. They're usually doing, they're going above and beyond what we expected. Yeah. Especially when we started at a higher point and really value their time and their work that they're doing for us. 
for sure. And I mean, the fact that you have that mindset early on, even though you are just like a year and a half into the game, as far as this goes, mm-hmm. it's like important that you have this mindset early because yeah. that's going to save so many headaches later on. And you're going to just, you're going to be able to expand not only like your own personal growth as an artist, but mm-hmm. like the team around you, it's going to become more consistent. It's going to become like a real thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's the like, longer I do this too, the more I realize it's fucking team sport, man. For sure. And that's, that's I, I want to get into that, man. Because Even people like Russ. Russ is still, a, Russ is what he's doing. It's still a fucking team sport. Yeah. He's still got a team around him. For sure. And that's some, I'm glad you say Russ because I actually wrote something down here because I recently saw a, um, a Jay Shetty interview with Russ. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that by chance? I, no, I haven't yet. So it just recently came out promoting Santiago, the new album that just came out. Cool. And pretty it, good interview. You suggest it, I watch it? 100%. Okay, you cool. should watch I'll it. Give yes. it. I'll give it a peek. Definitely watch that one. Um, Cause he talks a lot about um, like the inspirations behind the record and he talks about a lot about like toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. like kind of like how people, um, this is like not necessarily what I was going to talk about, but he does mm. talk about these topics. And uh, yeah. he goes into a segment where he um, he talks about in the past how before he was doing everything by himself. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was that was Russ's thing. I produce, mix, master, record, engineer, everything. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. I do it myself. You know what I'm saying? I don't need anybody else. Fuck everyone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was his brand in a way. <coughs> For a minute. And he talks about how that's what he was publicly, but like personally, he he wanted a team the the team he wanted the acceptance of others the only reason why he was saying fuck everyone is because he didn't have anyone yeah and it was almost like um until he realized that he needs people to to help him and he needs people around him to be able to like push this machine of russ Mm. um to the point where it needs to go that's when he realized like i can't have this um this this mindset you know yeah. i can't be like he broke through the next level once he made that realization for sure and yeah. you could see it in his artistry in his progression as a like a as like a big I remember time when he selling started working artist with, i remember when he started working with scott storch yes and he, and he signed the the columbia record deal that was like one of the first records that he did with another producer mm-hmm. um and exactly bro where it's and for like, the longest time he had and it and it's so and i love that he's just being honest and saying he he's like fuck engineers, mixing engineers, mastering engineers and producers. <clears throat> I can do it all myself. And the only reason he was doing it was because <clears throat> um, he didn't have anyone. Because <laughs> he didn't have anyone and he needed people. And it's like, he just like, well, I have to do I it myself. That. I have to do it myself. But I love that. The reason why I bring that up, because I want to talk about how like um, that point where you say like, I found out like you need a team around you. Mm-hmm. Like how important is it to you to like, put those people in place to be able to like keep this machine going. Cause if you didn't have the team, you wouldn't uh-huh. be able to run 25, 30 shows a month. This like is this. true. And my team's still really small and I'm still learning a ton. So I definitely take my advice with a grain of salt, but you got to know I've hired and fired just a few people, just a couple. You got to fire quick and you have to hire slow is what I found out. And I like when you're working with like a model or photographer, someone who's going to be a social media manager at first, you want to say, let's work on this piece of content and then let's work on and then, and then get that done. Look at the product, put it out. Okay, cool. And then work on the next piece of content. And then after you build up a bit of a repertoire and you're like, okay, I want to add this person to my team. That's the move. Definitely don't hire people with, without knowing what it's, it's going to look like to work with them. Yeah. So slow hire, fast fire. If someone, if someone fucks you over, 
if someone doesn't produce the product that they said they were going to, if someone, if someone's doing all the right things, but they're negative and they're bringing you down and they're making your job harder, not because they're not doing what they need to do, but because they're draining you emotionally and spiritually fucking cut them out. Yeah. There's no reason you need to have people in that like that in your life. And don't justify to yourself that they get the job done. Um, it's so important that you're kind with the people that you work with, especially in stressful situations mm-hmm. and that you're calm in when shit hits the van and you need to figure shit out. Um, also, when you go through experiences like that with people on your team, it makes that bond stronger. Yeah. Makes it a, a lot stronger and it makes them a more effective employee. Yeah. For sure. And it's like right now, it's like you're running um, someone of like a company of like White Bear. It's an LLC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the- <laughs> I got it filed. Okay. We're it's doing an actual company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like you're running a company. So it's like you need to have that kind of mindset. Run it like you a do. company. You can't run it like they're friends. And that's no, you like, can't. And, and that's huge. There's, there's still that balance though, especially there when is, you're working yeah. in a creative space. Of course. Because but, when you yeah. work, when you work in a creative space, you don't want to work with your fucking manager from McDonald's when you were 16. That yeah. dude fucking sucked. You want to work with your friends. Yeah. You want to work sure. with your homies. Yeah. And then you need to be able to it I I feel like doing a creative try to own your own business in a creative pursuit makes you evolve as a person because you need to have harder conversations with your friends that work with you than you would have had otherwise. Mm, right. If you're just hanging out. Yeah. If you're just hanging out with your friends all the time, it's really easy to talk about why they're 15 minutes late to everything. But if they work for you and they're 15 minutes late to everything, it's going to be a fucking problem. It's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same person that you yeah. still love. Yeah. And so that's difficult. But if you can get good at having hard conversations on a regular basis, it's especially with those people on your team, it's only going to make shit easier. Yeah. Cause the, the literally, I think there's a direct correlation between the amount of things that you can achieve and accomplish and the amount of hard conversations and hard things you have to go through. Cause yeah. if you, if you go through all those things at, at as expeditious a rate as possible, you will achieve that success directly in proportion, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's almost like, as you go through those walls of tough conversations, the higher and higher and faster you grow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I think that's a great, a great uh, way to kind of visualize that because it's almost like saying that if you want to get to that level, you're going to have to go through those walls of gonna be uncomfortable hard. conversations yeah. and hires and fires and yeah. friends becoming like uh, business friends and then becoming like just regular back to regular friends because you can't work with them business wise, you know, <laughs> actually. Yeah. You're going to need to be care- you're going to be careful and you're also going to need to be comfortable with hiring and firing friends if you want to work with your friends. For sure. If you want to do it on this level, exactly. it, like full time. And at a certain 100%. point, you're going to start hiring and firing people outside of your friends, then it becomes a little bit easier. But it also there's a there's a tipping point. You work with someone long long enough, they're gonna become your friend. Right. That's Just like if you're working at a fucking restaurant, you're a busboy. You work with an expo on the fucking line at a restaurant. You guys, after working a few months together, are probably gonna become better friends than you would if you didn't work together. Yeah, hundred percent. You know? That's a great great example. Yeah. Um. So something I want to talk about because you you touched on this and this is your sole income. It's one hundred percent of which this is how you make your money. Yeah. Um. So I want to kind of touch on um the importance of not half-assing it, for lack of a better term, and kind of going all in when the time is right. And I probably did it a little too early. Okay. But 
I'm glad I did it when I did it. So Cash hooked me up with a booking agency that books for like golf country clubs. Nice. And I was supposed to play just covers at fucking golf country clubs. And I think I got like five to six gigs a month. The first month that I got got with him, he gave me like six gigs the next month. And I'm like, well, I'm going to quit my job. (laughs) And each gig pays like $200, $300 maximum. Pretty good. Yeah. But only five or six of them. That's like what twelve hundred dollars a month. It is. My rent at the time was only five hundred. Okay. Month because I was sharing a house with a few other friends. This was a few years ago, or not a few years ago. This was last February. Yeah. And so you're making more than your expenses. Yeah. Which I mean, is, I mean, and I had a, a little a way, bit of savings at the time. You know, yeah. it's like, but in a way, it's almost like my bills were more than five hundred. My bills were more than just my rent. So I, yeah. I wasn't. I had some savings. I, I was. I ended up being okay, but I probably quit a little too early. I probably should have yeah. just toughed out bartending. I was so I was a bartender for cold beers and cheeseburgers. Yes, for like two and a half, three years, I was one of the only male bartenders in the entire company for like uh, a minute. Sorry, I'm all good, bro. I'll throw this off. Damn, dude, for uh, uh, the only one, really? One of the only. I think there might have been one or two others, but definitely there's only female bartenders. But and then I so I got fired at one point. Fired. I quit. Because it's some fucking bullshit. Um, we don't it's always some it. fucking. Yeah. We can if we want to. I'm looking at you, <laughs> fucking of of you motherfucker. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? <laughs> I was talking about the importance of not half-assing it and kind yes. of going all in on this. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I probably did it a little. I probably could a little bit early. I so I. I I I got fired. I quit from cold beers and cheeseburgers as a bartender. And then I was a bartender for like two months at a place called the Crooked Pint at the Holiday Inn across mm-hmm. the, the freeway from the Cardinal Stadium. Okay. For like two months. And then I met Cash and he connected me with my booking agency. I quit. And then basically, so right now I think we're in contact with five or six different booking agencies and we're booked to about two months out. Nice. Solid. You that's know, awesome as of right now as of right now yeah we're booked solid to the end of october right now that's amazing dude yeah. well that i'm sure that's cool for you too because that allows you kind of to map out like what your finances are going to yeah. look like for the next two months yeah because um there was really good months in the beginning and then there was also not so good months especially like that, that hot was really water stressing. where you're like oh shit am i gonna make rent and that's when <laughs> me and cash really found out if we were going to be good friends and business partners, yeah, you know, you, you end up going through it with the people who are closest with you, especially the ones that work with you when you're going through a really hard time like that. Anyone starting a business and there's a lot of businesses that are much harder to start than the business that I started. Yeah. It's, it, I think the way that it is, there wasn't a lot of initial, there was some initial investment, more time than money, definitely a decent amount of money, but more time than money in the beginning till we were profitable. Most businesses aren't profitable in like the first year or two. Right. It's just like a normal thing the way it goes, for capitalism yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. I ended up making really decent money like five to six months in. Wow. More than more than when I, when I was bartending for sure. Wow. Which was really gratifying. Mm-hmm. The first month I did um, 30 gigs in a single month was July of last year. It was fucking rough and I did not want to. That was the, that was the month that I hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um but it was cool to look at my bank account at the end and be like, I can fucking do this. Yeah. Like, 
I may never be famous. I may never fucking do anything, but I can do this. Yeah. I can fucking do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's better than bartending. Yeah. And it's like showing you, man, like this is not just a dream anymore. No. This is your actual reality. No. And I I really do wish that people, if you have that creative endeavor, I think it's so important to find people who are doing it adjacent to you at like the very first level and that are successful at the very first or second level that are like, in those beginning stages that know how to do it, get connected to those people, be their fucking free assistant, like figure out how they do their shit, what they do. So you can do it yourself because there are so many creative and amazing jobs out there for people that they can make for themselves where they can be their own boss that just require like a little bit of elbow grease and a little bit of passion, which I know a lot of people have in them. Yeah. If they just apply themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, so anyone listening to this, yeah. if you are a creative uh, artist of any kind and you have a dream and you have a passion, just just do it, man. Just yeah. put yourself out there and like, you really got to like almost take that leap of faith on yourself sometimes. Yeah, and for sure. Um, something I want to talk about, because you mentioned cash. We've talked about cash a little bit in mm. this interview. And um, I want to go into, because I don't know if I said it on air, but uh, the reason why I got connected with why it was, uh, Cash is his manager and Cash is friends with Chase Warren, who was episode seven. Um, so Chase sent me Cash. Cash uh, referred mm-hmm. me to Wyatt. So um, talk about how you met um, Cash and how that relationship okay, started. Yeah. So I did an open mic. So it'd been years since I'd played live or done anything. I'd kind of given up on music. I'd failed and entirely given up. And I was living with some friends and I was just writing songs because I'm always writing songs. Anyone who's a songwriter can understand what I'm saying. Yes. You just write songs. It's just like, it's like you get done with a really bad day and you're a songwriter and you'll write a song about it. You know, just, Mm -hmm. just, it's just like a form of catharsis. And I just had some friends just like encourage me to be like, fucking do something. Go, go play a show. Go sign up for an open mic. Fucking go do something. You know what I mean? Because I was really just playing video games and bartending. And hanging out with girls. It's really all I was doing. You just could sing really well and play really <laughs> yes, well. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I could, yeah, yeah. So it was like a hobby at that point. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was like a cool party trick I could pull out every now and again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and and I did this open mic at Cafe Molly and I got connected. That's where Cash and I met. And he was drumming for someone else at the time. And we worked together in some capacity for a little bit. Um, just on, I think he wanted me to help him with some like shows. And then, um, he's like, Hey, you should, my drummer keeps bugging me on playing live. He, he's like a, he's like a solo artist who, uh, who wanted to be a solo artist, but he also didn't want to play live shows. And cash was like, he was looking for people who are good solo artists who want to play live shows so he can make money as a drummer Mm. and, and cash. And I got connected through that mutual friend. Um, who he, Cash was actually living with at the time. And then uh, Cash and I just started, he, Cash Cash and I got together and he was like, okay, we need, you need three hours of music, two hours minimum of covers and a little bit of originals. We need to make a promotional video. We made a promotional video. We sent it to a booking agency. Booking agency said, okay, gave us a few dates. And then after I got five or six dates in a single month, I was like, let me get this fuck out of here for my bartending job mm-hmm. and that's pretty much how our relationship started and cash wasn't even technically formally my manager for a minute but he was still like helping with the emails and my calendar like 
I'm so ADD and ADHD. I have a really hard time with emails and calendar and like getting websites set up and staying on track. Cash is like, he operates kind of as my like left brain for a lot of stuff, which is, yeah. And I, and it's so nice that he's there to help me with that. There's also a lot of stuff that he's taught me that I can now do on my own too. So it's, it's definitely not of 100%. I'm a relying on him for everything. There's a lot of skills that he's translated to me. Like one of my biggest, and I think this is the biggest skill that any artist or creative can master. And this is something that I'm sure you can speak to as well is learning how to use your Google calendar or learning how to use your calendar at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Learning how to send invites, learning how to like link people on, on your Google calendar or like setting up events and st- it, it, coordinating people logistics in general, like is such an invaluable skill set for what we do. Like planning Absolutely. things out. You know, you're, you're, you're booked out for a minute right now. For sure. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. And it's funny because it took to like, to the point when I, when I booked you, your interview mm-hmm. that I like, um, had, like, this ain't coming out till November. <laughs> it's <laughs> <Mic> like drop. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, motherfucker. Like we're booked out two months in advance right yeah. now. But it's just like, like I had to build up because I had, was the way I was doing booking initially was all on like text message or Instagram DM basis where it's just like, Hey, this time, this time, you know what I'm saying? And we was like, Hey, and a lot of times it was like next week, Wednesday, 4 PM or whatever. Mm. And uh, I got to a point where I'm like, I'm juggling so many text messages and DMS. I'm like, I'm writing them down on a whiteboard because I have this whiteboard and stuff, but it's just like, I need to make like a full on like booking link. (laughs) And so it's just like, by the time, how much did that help you? So much, right? bro. And it's just like, and it automatically syncs to my iCalendar and everything's on calendar. And it's just like, I can send people the booking link. They can choose a time based off of the availability. Logistics, dude, it's baby. Just, oh my God. Fuck. Changed everything, dude. So I'm sure like when you're doing 25, 30 shows a day or a month rather and trying to coordinate different artists on different dates. That is all cash. Thank fucking God. <laughs> yeah. hey, cash knows a plethora of great uh, musicians who can fill in that are competent. Um, that can learn the material quickly that will play with me that won't complain yeah um and so he supplies those we we develop a, a network of artists we play with them live we pay them you know it's just it's a beautiful system man i'm i'm glad uh i'm glad that you guys met each other and can have that balance of that yin and yang almost yeah. Um, and I, I gotta have him on too. I talked to him, of course, about you coming on. You should definitely have him on. Yeah, dude, I'd love to. I mean, we already kind of talked. He's about an amazing it. dude. Yeah, I love Cash. Yeah, it's like so much. It's uh, when Chase recommended me to him. It's like anybody that like my friends that I like, respect dearly. Like if they mm. re- recommend me to them, like I will, you know, take that For recommendation. Sure. So I'm kind of tugging the table on you. No, you're good, bro. It's a cheap table. Um, So like when he sent me uh, cash, I like, you know, kind of did a little bit of research on Uh cash and it just seems like cash is like connected to a lot of people. Cash is doing fucking big things. Yeah, man. So yeah. Let me just say cash does not have to keep helping me and do what he has to do. He has so many things going on that he could definitely be doing his own thing. And obviously we're just really good friends and he's, he's a business partner and he believes in what we're doing. And it's not like I haven't paid him well and, and he's seen a lot of back from it, but it's like he plays with, there's this band, there's a local band um, in Arizona, Sorry X. Yes, exactly. Chase worked with them as well back in the day. She has like, I think just over 100,000 monthly listeners right now on, oh, wow. on Spotify. She has a few songs with a one to two million plus streams. Like she's a, she's a bona fide um, artist here in Arizona and cash with works with her on a regular basis. They're very close. I know her as well. She's helped us with social media too on, on, in some areas. 
and she's an incredible person. He also he's the drummer for Scary Kids Scaring Kids. He was just on tour with them. I think he's he's just about to go back on tour with them for a month. So he had to schedule a ton of drummers for this upcoming September for your shows, mm-hmm, for my shows. Mm-hmm. But he 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 does so many fucking things. Yeah. Yeah, dude. No, he's definitely the type of like uh, candidate that we'd have on here, man. It's just like he's, he's a high performer. He does a lot of shit for sure, man. He makes me feel lazy and <laughs> I am lazy. Don't don't get it twisted. I'm not some fucking like super productive guru. I, I get done what I can get done. But Cash is he's a phenomenon. He's, he's He gets a lot of shit done. Absolutely, man. I mean, shout out to Cash for organizing this interview, bringing That's you what on I'm more. Literally, <laughs> it's like, literally. I was like, yeah, it's because I didn't even, I haven't talked to you one time. The first time I said anything to you was, was the, when I walked when you the walked into the front door. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's so funny. Like, like uh, that's the first time I've ever had to like deal with someone not like through someone else. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it was kind Which of we like, didn't mean for it to happen like that. Where it's like <laughs> I'm the artist. Text my manager. <laughs> Don't give him my personal number, you know. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sure we did that like, on damn, purpose. Dude, this dude's big, dude. Yeah, no, like I'm not. Time. I think I have a right now I have a thousand followers on Instagram. Hey, but dude, it's like your debut out or yeah. your b- debut single debut comes single. out like next month. So it's like you're just getting started. Exactly. But I thought that was just kind of funny where it's just like it's like uh, these things can happen through other people, but Cash is like that middleman that he needed is. to be there. And yeah. it's just like somebody else. He's a middleman for a lot of stuff. So beyond yeah. just drumming and managing me, he also he's also a tour manager. He's been on a few different mm. tours for decently big bands. Yeah. Um, one of them otherwise uh, is like a really pretty big, no disrespect, I'm pretty sure the term is dad rock band. They're a great <laughs> dad rock band. Hell yeah. And he was tour manager for them for... Or he has been for like, he'll go out on tour with them for like a month at a time, a few weeks, you know, over the last like year or two years. And he's just, Cash is just, what I said earlier, sorry, I'm burping so much. I had Chipotle earlier. <laughs> um, I said earlier, logistics are so, so important. And if you find someone to add to your team who wants to work as hard as you, if not harder, and is also great at logistics, fucking pay them. For sure. Keep them around. Yeah. Especially if you're a person who doesn't want to do logistics and most people don't, you know? Yeah. And it's almost like they're passionate about what they're good at and you're passionate about what you're good at. Precisely. So it's just like you guys work well together. Yeah. And you fill each other's gaps in. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's amazing, dude. Yeah. Shout out Cash one more time. I yeah, mean, for <laughs> sure. He's going to listen back to this podcast and it's just us jerking him off for like <laughs> exactly. 30 minutes. Like, Jesus Christ. Uh, so let's go back to your solo music and you know kind of we talked about doing covers but um, talk about you know writing original music and when did you really start writing original music and like feeling like oh this is something here 14 14 14 yeah when I picked up the guitar I think when I, the right after I learned two coins by dispatch I wrote a song with the exact same chords oh really and I've done that I'm, everyone does this by the way so it's I really don't think this is that bad but you learn a song that you love you learn the chord progression and then you kind of change it just a little bit and you write your own song with the exact same chord progression. Right. And it ends up, it, it, it just, it sounds better because it's already associated with a piece of work that you know works. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like someone des- designing an airplane based on another airplane. Yeah. It was hard for the Wright brothers because they didn't have anything to fucking base their airplane on. You yeah. know what I mean? And It's like having that template of exactly. like a song that worked. Yeah. Once you, if you know something works and you can kind of make it your own that's that's where songwriting kind of stems from most of the time i really feel like i'm like 
feel songwriter more than anything. I really have to fucking feel it. There's a lot of songwriters I know that you could just be like, give them a prompt in 20 minutes and they're, they're great. They're fucking killer. I did nothing. I ever got paid. Um, nothing that ever got released, but I did get paid a, a decent amount uh, for some songwriting work when I lived in LA and I got to interact with some songwriters that, um, that were like really talented and you could, you could tell that they like were about their shit. I have to be like directly influenced by something. Yeah. You know, I can't just write a, a storyline out of thin air. You know, it has to be, it has to be something that I've felt deeply. And it's not like I can't write untrue things. Like I've written, I've written songs where it's kind of more like an amalgamation of a few different experiences that I'm pulling together. But I definitely, you have to feel it. And most of the time, and a lot of my songs are about like heartbreak and like feeling bad and sad. And I really use music like most people as a form of catharsis. Like it's genuinely so therapeutic for me to sit down and rhyme words together about how fucking sad I am. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's almost Feels like a coping, great. Like yeah. coping mechanism. You know what I'm saying? It's a great coping mechanism. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's one then, of the only ones I have. Yeah. When you write a good song off of like a, a situation like that, it almost turns that potentially negative uh, feeling into a positive experience. Yeah. That's a great fucking point. And there's this, um, I was watching a podcast a, a minute back. Uh, it was a Lex Friedman podcast. He had, uh, I think the, the girl that he had one was an, her name was a girl. Anyway, Lex, do you know who Lex, Lex Friedman is? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Lex Friedman, excellent podcaster. For sure. He had a girl on who does OnlyFans and sex work, but she does it in like a creative manner. And she was talking about how she like experienced a lot of, as an attractive woman, a lot of women experienced sexual assault and like yeah. really terrible things growing up. And she had a psychedelic experience that helped her reframe her perspective. And I feel like ref- to, to take a negative experience and to turn it into power and to turn it into like fuel is like the most win-win situation that there could possibly be. It's a superpower for sure. It is. Yeah. You know, when you, when you take that hardship and you turn it into something positive, um, it heals you and it has the potential to heal others outside of yourself. Yeah. Which is fucking incredible. And it's a great thing to feel. Even if you're a songwriter and you never get famous and you sing a song that you wrote for one person and they resonate with it, that feels great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You can only imagine as a songwriter what it feels like to sing for thousands of people and have them sing your songs back to you. You know, it's got to be the most euphoric fucking feeling on the face of the planet. Absolutely. And it's just because like when you're by yourself in your room, when you're finishing a song up and you're like, that's the best song I've ever written. Like, and that's how you feel every time, every single <laughs> every time. time. But you know what? That's like, it's funny because <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I feel that 100%. When I was producing for some other artists, there was a homie Marcus. We did teammate Marcus and we would, every time we made a song, we're like, oh, that's the best song I've ever written. Yeah. Oh, that's the best album we've ever written. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. After the album's done and it's just like, Progression, progression, progression. That is how you should feel, though, as an artist. Exactly. It's if like you, you don't feel, feel like that your way. Songs are getting worse. Then huh, you probably Brother. probably should pick a new profession. Yeah, because there are <laughs> artists who think that their new shit is the best and it is the worst. But if you if you think your new shit is the worst, it is the worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. for sure. Exactly. You being your wor- own worst critic. If yeah, you yeah. think it's the worst, then yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely the worst. It is nice to get that bit of euphoria 
confidence, cockiness. The second you're done writing a song and you, you're like, bro, I'm fucking Kendrick. Bro. Yeah. I'm fucking John Mayer. Like, I, I do this shit. Exactly. It's like, I put this shit out of thin air. For bro. real. <laughs> and you get that way. And it could be a yeah. song that you never release and you still get that feeling. Yeah. That feeling in and of itself is enough to write songs, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. If I had to go to back, if, if for whatever reason, all my booking agencies said, fuck you, we're never going to play you again and you're blackballed from the industry here in Arizona. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I had to go back to bartending. I would still write songs because right. it feels great. Mm-hmm. It feels fucking so good. And I've been doing it since I was 14 years old. Yeah, man. And you know, it's cool that uh, it's it's taken you so long to finally jump into a solo career, mm-hmm. I guess, as a recording artist. For sure. Because it's almost like um, you're doing it for the right reasons because you love I like to, to think do so. it. And yeah. like, obviously you want to make money off it, make a living off of it. It's so funny but, you say that. Cause I really do feel like when I first started, I was doing it for the wrong reasons when yeah. I was 19 and I had my internship in, in West Hollywood in LA. I, I like just like any 18 or 19 year old. I just wanted to be rich and famous. Right. I just wanted people to know my name. I wanted to fuck hot bitches. I wanted to do drugs. I wanted to, those were the reasons that I wanted to do it. Rockstar life. Exactly. And I wanted to live that rockstar life. And now that that I'm re-entering it, don't get it wrong. I'm not living a rockstar life at all right now at all. I'm literally just playing live at fucking bars, restaurants, and, and country clubs. Anyway, I fucking, I, I love what I do now. I'm, I'm very grateful for the mindset that I have for the wisdom and the humility that I've accumulated and, um, and the confidence I've accumulated, for sure. For sure, man. Yeah. And it makes going into dropping your first solo um, record as like, I agree. gives you that confidence. I've, yeah, and I've done a lot of work leading up to a single song. And I do have, we're going to take the song off of Spotify because I don't think it's that good. We do have, I, I have some songs that I released like three or four years ago. But this is my first single as like, I've put so, I've, I've put so much time. I have so many artists that I work with. I've played so many live shows i'm excited for people to hear this song live i'm excited for people to stream it you know i've never worked on anything this hard in my life and i'm in the next song i'm going to work even harder on we are we are right now we're working even harder on than the last song and it's it feels good you know it's stressful for sure but the, the the act of producing the act of putting it out is is another form of catharsis besides the original intention of writing the song too. right yeah so it's like two times you get you get a little dopamine hit <laughs> yeah. off this shit thank yeah, you twice. sir <laughs> yes indeed dude yeah right that's another reason why being like a songwriter artist this is like one of the best feelings in the world it is if, if you really love it that's why so many people want to do it and i yeah. get it and i I remember for the longest time just being a fucking hater and I still get there too sometimes when you're just scrolling on TikTok or Instagram and you're and you kind of get this feeling like fucking everybody wants to be a singer songwriter. Fucking everybody wants to make beats. Fucking everybody. And then I kind of took a minute to kind of re- like why am I mad? Am I mad that there's more art in the world? Is that really what I'm mad about? Yeah. Am I mad because there's a ton of bad art and some of the good art can't be shown because there's so much bad art? No, I don't think I'm mad about that. I think I'm jealous. That's it. I think I think it's insecurity. And then you just, after you do that self-reflection, it makes it easier to post content on Instagram is because you're not hating yourself as much because when you're hating other people, it's really it's a projection of your own self-hate in my opinion. It is. So, you if you can master not hating other people, that self-love will come naturally because what you put out you get in and what you what you what you put in you get out. In, in in both ways you know what i mean 
it's just it's all it's always got to be positive vibes love and and peace because i know artists who dwell in negativity and their careers are fucking doing nothing and all the artists that are on the up and up and just want good vibes clean energies people artists been saying this shit since the fucking 60s and the 70s like that is the way to live your life as an artist is be a ball of floating air be a cloud be floating above everyone else Mm -hmm. don't let people fucking get you down don't let negative people enter your team don't let it's just it's it's a beautiful thing to have people around you that want your success that are also positive it's so because so many people are so negative for sure so many people are so negative yeah, man. And your perspective on like the social media thing, I think that's very profound perspective to have, especially as someone that's just now starting to release your I'm, own solo stuff I'm going stuff through it like right that. now. I still scroll on TikTok and Instagram and I'm looking at this shit and I'm like, this is corny as fuck. Fuck this guy. But really, I'm calling, in a weird way, I'm calling myself corny as fuck and I should shut the fuck up because I want to do what he's doing. I'm looking at mm-hmm. this. I'm like, this is actually a killer TikTok or this is a great way to, for him to market his music. And, and I'm like, just being a hater. Just don't be a hater. For sure. And it's a very important part of like the artist world. I mean, it's like creative artists in general because it's like it's so easy, even like the podcast space. You know, it's something that's... Um, For sure. Like, it's so easy to like say, I want to start a podcast. Yeah, I'm sure you've had friends that were like, dude, everyone has a podcast. Your friend, That's why it took me two years to make yeah, it. <laughs> Because you had friends that were like shitting on your good idea and you're like, but I think I can do it. I can talk to local artists and I can make it a really good podcast and have a good conversation. And your friends are like, but everyone and their dog has a podcast. And there's so much negative stigma that it comes with like starting a podcast. And it's like, it's almost like um, if you like, if you don't really have like that passion and drive, like really to do the damn thing, like it's probably going to fail. Yeah. And it's like, that's what you're kind of told. And that's like reality for real. Like it is true. Getting, getting is into true. it, it's yeah. very true. Like if you don't go all in, it's there's going to be a lot of things that you- I always like, do. everyone likes to think, I, li- I like to think worst case scenario sometimes and it gives me some freedom. Like what if you started this podcast and nothing ever fucking happens, but you get to have really fun conversations with creatives Yeah, and over that- a few years. Fuck, <laughs> fucking dope. You exactly. get to network with a ton of creatives. You get to have long form conversations away from your phone. You're not fucking beating your head in your phone like everyone. I do it too. Like everyone does throughout the entire day. It's such a privilege to be able to sit down and have a multi hour conversation with a person. Yes. And not think about anything else. You For know sure. what I mean? That's a privilege. It's 100%. And a lot of people don't, won't just. You're not going to sit down with your grandma for two hours and not look at your phone. I'm sorry. You're not going to fucking do that. Yeah. Are you going to do that when you go on a podcast? Yeah. Exactly. Because that's what it's there for. For sure. It's it. I'm so glad that you bring that up, bro, because that's like part of the reason why I started this podcast, too, because I'm and I've said this on multiple episodes. So it's like if you've heard this multiple times, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it again. The reason why I started this podcast is because I'm I'm surrounded by a bunch of people like yourself Mm -hmm. that are very passionate and very inspiring creatives Mm -hmm. and people that inspire me and these are conversations that I have off camera you know what I'm saying so it's like these are conversations that I'm going to have anyways so bringing these people into my home and having these conversations on camera it's transformative it's transformative not yeah. only to me but like anyone listening they could hear these stories and they could hear these yeah. these stories of inspiration you're adding value man you're adding value to their lives and I love it man and it's like by at the same adding value to their lives but at the same time adding value to my life so kind of mm-hmm. going back to what you're saying it's like even if 
no nobody listened to it my parents watch every episode shout out mom and dad love you guys um (laughs) they watch it at home in michigan but it's like even if they were the only people to watch these episodes i have had these conversations and i have these documented conversations with people that i respect that i have in my life forever and that 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 right there is like enough for me there's also until you get into this environment and I've only done a few podcasts, but until you get into this environment, there's ideas that you can't have unless you're here. You know what I mean? There's things that you, you know, you know, but you've never fully articulated out loud that you can't do. You can't articulate it until you're sitting down and with someone for longer than a few hours. Yeah. And you really get to work out those thoughts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and it's, and it's also, it's a, it's a dojo for people who want to sharpen their speaking and, and uh, communication skills 100 percent, and that, that that's it man i mean that's like another reason another thing that comes with it with podcasting where it's just like the more you do it the more you sharpen the skill exactly and it's just you like people yeah people coming on for like the, as from the guest point of view like getting interviewed and then also from my point of view like i've been able to kind of hone in my process and my mm. format and my comfortability on which camera. is uh, let me just give you a big kudos this set is fucking sick thank you bro i love <laughs> love it. this setup Thank you, bro. No, it's been a long time coming. But yeah, once it was locked in, I was like, this is it. And so yeah. I'm like, this is at least the first version. I don't know how many adaptations of this show. There's going to be gonna, a few. You know, so, there always is. There always is. I there mean, this is, is already the second adaptation. But yeah, yeah it's like, I, I love it, man. And I, I think um, kind of tying back to like, uh, like what we were talking about before, where it's like mm-hmm. doing it, um, like having that passion and like you starting this uh, journey as a new solo artist you having this like the passion and the heart behind it rather than coming into it with like um for I the want wrong fame reason. and money yeah for the wrong reasons fame. yeah and for that's sure. and that's i think that's beautiful bro and i think that is going to be more like fuel to your fire for when sure. you start dropping music yeah and let's say let's say this does pick up let's say i end up going on like a cool tour let's say i have an album or two that does really well and i get to set myself up and a few of my friends and family for the rest of my life fucking what like even the fact that that's just a possibility and it's so dumb because it's or I feel and this is just me being a hater on myself. I, I have you have these thoughts all the time and you're like everyone thinks this and then you also you have to have the thought are these thoughts invalid just because everyone has them mm. like is it wrong for me to want to be an artist just because everyone wants to be an artist. No. Right. You know what I mean. And you'll really get into that spot when especially as an artist or as a creative as a podcaster you you start your podcast. And you look at other podcasts and you're like, wow, these guys are really doing it great. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Not saying that your shit is dope, but like, like you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, hundred percent. You know exactly yeah, what I mean. You start comparing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, Henry, Henry David Thoreau, I think, it's, uh, it's the thief, the thief of joy's compare, or comparison is thief of joy. Mm. Something like that. Something mm. to that effect. I'll put the quote right here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you, you just gotta, it's just about doing the thing too. For sure. You know what I mean? Because you're going to have the anxiety. You're going to have the the doubts. You're going to have the stress. You're going to have all those things are inherent. They're going to happen. Whether or not you do the thing. So might as well do the thing. Because you were already thinking about it and stressing about it earlier mm-hmm. for two years. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it for fucking so long you know yeah i mean you for started like writing music years. at 14, 14 yeah. and now you're 26 just starting your solo career for real like that's i mean i've been thinking about it forever forever and, bro yeah. but it's 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 cool though because by the time it comes out it's like polished yeah and it's ready you know it's like i'm yeah. glad you think so i really i'm really proud to hold on yeah man yeah. i'm stoked bro i'm stoked yeah. for you dude 
Um, so, I mean, we kind of talked about originals now, but um, kind of a little bit of cover talk. I want to talk Let's about go that. Ahead. Yeah, I um, love covers. This is part of my massive part of my job. Yeah, for sure. this is like the main thing. So you do covers. Um, something I wanted to ask my question is, mm. are you going to potentially start releasing these covers because you're Some doing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I think, cool. I think it'd glad be a that's great idea if I should. I think yeah. at the very least, I'm going to release some longer versions on on Instagram and YouTube. Okay. And then for streaming, I might. I mean, some of my favorite artists have have some smaller cover EPs. Dallas Green of City and Color has a really great uh, cover EP um, he, where he covers an Alicia Keys song. And then he also covers um, a few other songs that are haunting the beautiful. His, his voice is incredible. So I'm thinking if I do cover songs, it's one of them is going to be Coming Home by City and Color, which is a song that I'm going to play a little bit later for you. And then... A few other, probably Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. I love My Immortal by Evanescence. Evanescence, okay. another massive artist that I listen to mostly because of my older sister. Okay. Evanescence. Nice. You know the band Evanescence, of course, right? Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Wake me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, like early 2000s yeah. energy, yeah. It per si- yes. For sure. And yeah. I, yeah, that was such a fucking... It's a golden era of time for me, the early 2000s. Totally, yeah. I remember thinking that it was so corny at the time. And now I look back and I think it's so fucking cool, bro. I (laughs) I miss it. it. (laughs) And everyone's wearing Y2K era clothing now. It's like fucking in. Yeah, That's the thing. History repeats itself is what they say. All the time. Yeah, now we're getting into that part where it's just like the 2000s era. We were in the 90s era. Now we're in the 2000s era. For (laughs) real. We're going to go back to the 70s here in a little bit. Yeah, it's really good. Something like that. Or the 60s. As we go uh, 10 years in advance. Wait, we already did that because there was like high-waisted shit. Oh, I'm actually, I'm wearing high-waisted pants right now, but nice. High, but I like the, Hell you remember yeah. the chicks wearing the high-waisted stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that the halter tops and for whatever. For sure. Yeah, when I was in high school, that the high-waisted gear came Was back. in, yeah, yeah, me too. Wait, how old are you, if you let me ask you? Uh, 28. 28, I'm 26. Yeah, so we're two years. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to high school in Michigan. Michigan? Yeah, okay. so Grand Rapids, Michigan is where I grew up. Um, okay, for so, sure. Yeah, I moved out here when I was 20. So, oh, cool. yeah, I've been almost. Why have I heard of Grand Rapids before? It's the second biggest city in Michigan. Okay. So it's it's kind of big. Uh, there's a couple people, notable people from there. Uh, okay. Floyd Mayweather, Dave, Devin Booker. Uh, oh, books from there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, actually. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're actually, we went to the same high school. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love that. Yeah, so I'm You're like, basically Devin Booker. <laughs> I'm homies with his brother. Like, oh, awesome. Like De- Devon, uh, he's probably going to come on. Uh, he, oh, follow- he follows the pod, but he's busy. He's a real estate agent now. Makes but, sense. But yeah, dude, it's funny. Like, um, I-, I find so many people out here that are mm-hmm. from Michigan. Like my first guest, Casey Waters, he's from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I didn't meet him until I was out here. Yeah. And Nick Weber, he was episode four five and he was from grand rapids and he he's out here so it's like there's mm-hmm. a lot of transplants out here from michigan there is i remember when i was still bartending um at cold beers across the stadium from uh park west in the, the cardinal stadium glendale no this is, is glendale? um i don't know it's like just on the edge of litchfield litchfield it's park ghetto west. it's like do you know where westgate is oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's across yeah, yeah. the stadium or it's across the stadium across the freeway from westgate okay yeah that's park west that area yeah okay that's where i used to bartend and because of the football games, we'd get a decent amount of out-of-state and international people. And I definitely met a decent amount of people from Michigan, mm. 100%. A lot of, especially right after COVID, a ton of people moving from the East Coast, like Philly, yeah. um, Jersey, New York, Chicago, a lot of people from California, obviously. Terrible. Yeah, yeah terrible. when all that shit happened, all of our housing went up and all that. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfuckers. Yeah. Motherfuckers. I was really going to buy a house. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And then it's just like, yeah, like, no, it just doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> I, will we ever buy a house? No. <laughs> right. I was talking, I was actually having this conversation with someone yesterday um, about how like it's almost cheaper now to just rent. It is. <laughs> it's just like it doesn't it even cheaper. make sense for you with to with interest and how long you're gonna have the, it's gonna be a 40 year mortgage for like five percent or like seven percent uh, is like where it's at now i've seen in some places and do you know bro, the medium home price for america not even just arizona america probably like four hundred four hundred and fifty thousand dollars of course dude that's almost a half of a fucking million dollars like you have to make oh, like probably like one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to buy that level of home comfortably minimum and that's like on the minimum low end side, like just for you to be able to make expenses and yeah. then be able to potentially maybe have a little bit of savings on the side. <laughs> it's just like, your house crazy. is your savings at that point, yeah. honestly. And it's like, it's getting to a point where like no corporate job or like no jobs or at least a um, large percentage of jobs that like the nine to five corporate America work they're not going to be making enough to buy a house anymore. Nope. So it's like, it's going to get to a point where you're going to have, if you want to buy luxuries, you are going to have to start your own companies. And yeah. it's like, it's going to be like entrepreneurs are going to be the only ones making enough, to enough money to like buy and like be able to Which invest sad. comfortably. People, sh people should be able to afford a house. I think so too. That's not a crazy thing to say out loud, right? I'm Absolutely not. I'm not, not <laughs> boiling anyone's fucking Absolutely water over not. here, am I? You no, know? but I think it's like, it's it's one of those things where it's like people should be able to buy a house, but it's like at the same time, now it's like people are starting to realize, well, what is what is should? Should, is that like a... Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. What are you a fucking liberal commie? <laughs> like, what do you mean should? It's like why should we? Huh? Is, the, is the military paying for all their surgeries and breast implants now too? The fuck? No, it's yeah. like it's like it's like uh, I've I've seen a lot of like uh, money people come out and say like like go against buying and like talk about how like how renting is more like uh, lucrative and like yeah. how you can spend um you know that same money that you're gonna put down twenty thousand dollars on a house you can put that in the S and P five hundred and yeah. make you get a, a return. mutual fund and it's like yeah, yeah talking about investing and that's yeah. that's a bigger conversation now and it's just like but that goes back to like people that have that self employed mindset because people that are investing they have like I think they have that like money makes money type of mindset yeah. where it's like putting the money a lot to of work for you who who just want to buy a house and just want to live a normal life and a lot of people do and there's nothing wrong with that at all with wanting to live a normal life. They don't want to fucking be part-time stock traders. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for sure. It's just, it's, it's an available investment that's just not available anymore. And it was, it was like the most secure investment bar the 2008 housing crisis. It was the most secure investment that anyone could make in their future and for their families for the longest time for, I think, 200 plus years in America and now it's just gone yeah. and now it's unless you're of a certain socioeconomic class it's a type of investment you cannot participate in yeah whatsoever yeah it's it's wild man but I mean it's like a, I guess it's it's a gift and a curse because it's just like the entrepreneurial mindset I think is so beautiful and I think more it people is. should have like the uh, a, like the want and the passion to like innovate and create and, and do something for themselves do something for themselves and not just worry about like getting someone to pay them you yeah. know and like then being cool with whatever they're willing to give them I totally agree I think there's a lot of people who could do it that aren't that should yeah 100% I also think there's this other subsect of people who don't mind working in an office and they want to have all the luxuries that society afforded everyone 20 to 40 years ago. And that's just not, 
It's just not available anymore. Yeah. And so what's going to happen to those people? I mean, are they going to fall into the lowest socioeconomic status? Are they all going to become homeless? Or is there going to be like a new... What it really seems like it's going to be is we all know people who work from home. Yeah. Who do this mm-hmm. for four to eight hours a day instead of actually working. Not throwing any smoke. If I was in the same position, I'd be doing the exact fucking same thing. 100%. 100%. I think that the economy is going to turn to where those people are probably going to hold like two to three full at-home positions. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a, an industry standard and companies are going to understand. Because like the at-home work, you, you really, you, how much work are they actually doing? I've seen my friends work from home. Right. They do two hours of work in an eight-hour day. Yeah. You could have three to four of those jobs and be doing the same amount of work that you did before. And I don't know if that's the solution, but it seems like that might be an inevitability. I already I know friends who have more than one at-home work position. They make a fucking killing. Yeah, for if sure. You, I mean, yeah. one sixty-five thousand dollar at-home work position after you get out of college isn't going to cut it. If you have two of those, you're making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Which is way better than the majority of people. You're working eight hours a day, making $120,000 a year for two companies. I just think people are going to end up dividing their time between companies. People who who are part of the, the normal part of life where they're just like, I just want to have my job. I want to do my thing. I want to hang out with my family when I'm not doing my job. I'm not a fucking entrepreneur. I'm not an artist. I'm, I don't want to do any of this shit. I think those people are really going to end up having to have multiple at-home jobs. You're not going to be able to just live off of one. Yeah. That I mean, you know, it's crazy when you were talking about it. I'm like picturing that being a thing, and I can hundred percent. It already that. is a thing to a yeah. certain extent. Well, like being like a normal, like yeah. uh, this is like, like what everyone you do. has a multiple. Yeah, at home it's almost like how uh, um, just like the classic, like when I guess when people like have kids, like a lot of times they end up getting a second job. You know, mm-hmm. like the the dad gets a second job to like get a little bit extra income you know yeah. that that's always been a thing that, for sure you know what i'm saying like the in the household getting a second job yeah. and physically going somewhere else has always been a thing so it's like now if you can get a second job and also be on the other job at the same time mm-hmm. and do two jobs literally at the same time people can do that i have friends who do that and that's like that is whole oh, crap man that's, that's the evolution that's efficient as well it is, yeah. because it's like if you're going the the reason why it's more efficient obviously is because you don't have to physically be in a different place at a different time no so it's not and, like and from nine to five i'm here five to, to nine i'm there in a little in a little bit of a way because it does you have a lot of free time for both jobs just do the other job in the free time you have for the job yeah and if you can do that in like a normal eight hour day and like you said if like you if, want to if you don't have the the mindset of like starting your own company if you're not an entrepreneur if yeah, you're not an that's artist not everyone that's it's, not everyone. yeah it's not everyone that's reality it's yeah. like you need that other you need the workforce of, yeah. the, of america so it's like the workforce of america is going to realize well i could spend eight hours at this job making twenty dollars an hour or i can make twenty dollars an hour times two working two jobs um, and that's like that's just a no brainer. I'm sure a lot of people want to make forty dollars an hour compared to making twenty, like double for their sure. income, like for sure. just do it in the same amount of time. Yeah, and it's like that's crazy that like we're in a like in America in the world. I think a lot of people who have degrees who are just trying to get at home positions, even people who don't have degrees that want at home positions, I think that is going to be what they're doing and what they're most likely doing right now. Yeah, is having multiple at home positions. That's, I mean, that's smart. 
Good for it them. is. But it's just like that kind of goes back to like the evolution of like uh, money where it's just like, whereas before you could get away with just working a single job and then be able to buy a house. Whereas now they're forced to have this innovative thinking of like, well, I can't even make ends meet yeah. working the $60,000 job. I have to get a second yeah. job People just to People were having a very similar conversation in 2008 for sure. Yeah. Talking about having multiple jobs and create new revenue streams and some people were becoming self-made multimillionaires by flipping houses and like there's a lot of those people who were like we just have an entrepreneur's mindset it's not made for everyone although the people that they did influence i'm sure are making a fuck ton of money now because sure. flipping houses and being in real estate is one of the fucking things you can do to have generational wealth for, for sure sure dude yeah. anybody that started in real estate in like 2018 ooh, you are killing it yeah. right now i'm sure because which is what's so sad nuts. to me to hear that there's like some really big financial people that are saying well maybe rent don't buy a house. Right. And that's just like not even an option for people who are of a low enough socioeconomic status. Yeah. Especially when it's just like, ah, man, like debt is a real thing for a lot of people. A lot of people have so much debt. So much debt. So, so much. they can't even afford to get a loan on a house. So it's like they have to. A lot of people have bad credit. Have bad credit because of bad practices that, they, you know, that just kind of stems back There's to. There's some people who have bad credit because when they were kids, their parents took out credit cards. In their, in their name. name. Yeah. Like Logic. Logic talks about his dad. I had, did I had friends that I lived, they lived in my car at one point when I was living in LA. They were really good friends that I made music with at the time. And they were telling me about how their parents, not even as like a fucked up, it, I think it might've been a little fucked up in Logic's situation. It was like they needed to fucking pay for food and like housing and shit. And they were maxed out on their credit cards and their credit was terrible. And they could take out shit on their kids' names. And they're like, how are we going to subsist? So they had to do that. And so like wow. they're entering life at a lower socio socioeconomic status because of the situation that their families were put in. Wow. Fucked up. Fucked up, yeah. man. And it was, and just like you said, it wasn't even like on some shysty shit, no. like logic stat. It was just like pure necessity. Like yeah. if, if we wouldn't have done we diapers this, like and if, food and it's just like your parents can come to you and say like, Hey, if we didn't do this, like we would, we would have been on the street. But now when you're 18, your credit score is 320. Yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck, mom? Fuck. <laughs> I'm trying to buy a car. You couldn't let me shit on the floor one time. I didn't need diapers all the time. <laughs> um, oh man, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, man. I, I bet it's a ton of fun. Yeah. Dude, I, uh, have me back. Dude, I would, to, you know, I'd love to. I mean, yeah, yeah I, uh, I haven't done round twos yet, but like, let yeah, me know I'd after you have to. cash on. Have cash on first. Yeah. Bring me back. <laughs> yeah. In 2024, you're going to be on for a round. Would two. love it. Yeah. I'm Dude. definitely going to be releasing another song in 2024. Yeah. I mean, sure, you're going to be releasing consistently, man. I am. Yes. Um, Indeed. So I, uh, I'm going to check these, see, see what we got here. Do it's, you mind if I, I take a quick break for bathroom and water? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. That sounds good. Hey, Martians, real quick. I appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch wherever you are in the world. Over the last few months, the Martian family has grown so much. I could not be more thankful for all of my guests and every single one of you who continue to tune in every single week. Subscribers, ratings, likes, and comments all help us grow here on Mars. And it would mean the world. If you haven't already, please go to onmarspod.com slash subscribe to subscribe on YouTube. Like and leave a comment. Rate us on Spotify. All this good stuff helps keep the engine running to inspire Martians all over the world. P.S. Follow us on Instagram at OnMarsPod. Okay, let's get back to it. <sighs> yeah. It was fun, dude. I'm having a great time. I love doing this podcast. So because you do so many shows, you obviously have a pretty, um, probably like, uh, <laughs> like, 
precise uh, practice schedule. Um, what is your weekly practice schedule look like to be able to perform at this level? Not really. Really? Yeah, I play so much. It's kind of like the practice. The performance, the performance is, the practice. is the practice. Okay. So what I'm doing in my free time with music is usually either writing or I'll spend a lot of time just with my guitar in my hands playing a chord progression over and over again and like humming and like just trying to find something that I resonate with. Just writing. I'll spend hours at a time. Not even like actively trying to write a song but just trying to like be with my guitar. I'm so- I sound very hippie and esoteric right now but I really do that. And sometimes I'll just sing and like sometimes it is like practice where I'm singing or playing a song that I'm going to play live, but I'm not playing it live because I don't think it's good enough to play live. Like I already ripped that song live. It's I'm like, I'm almost feeling myself out more than I'm feeling out the song. Yeah. That's what my practice kind of looks like. It's um, understanding like, cause when you're, when you're singing alone, it gives you more freedom to like, go for higher notes or lower notes or like try screaming or like try you know just going different places and trying new things because you you want to keep it fresh you don't want to sing and do things the same way that you're doing especially if you're playing the same venues um for for over a year and you come and it's you're seeing the same customers you're seeing the same um people who work there managers bartenders if, if you don't add songs, take away songs, make songs sound new and different, you don't try to like reinvent yourself on a, re- on a regular basis, people are going to get fucking bored. Yeah. People are going to get fucking bored. For sure, man. Yeah. So that is your practice where it's almost like a, more like a meditation in yes. the way. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And I'll literally, and a lot of it will be, and I won't even, we'll play a little bit later, but let me pop my guitar real quick. Yeah. For sure. I'll man. give you an yeah, example. You can put it on the stand after too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I should have done that to be at the beginning and I'm so sorry. It's all good. I put it out there for you, but it's all good. It's all good. I'll sit. I'll sit. Sometimes I'm even watching TV. I won't even be like at my desk with my audio interface and everything. I'll be I'll be sitting at my at, on my couch watching TV and it'll just be and I'm just noodling the entire time. And then eventually you'll do it so long that you make a mistake. And sometimes the mistakes sound good. Mm. And then you save those because those are things that you can use for writing later. Yeah. Because a lot of, I, I feel like the majority of really good songwriting is making happy mistakes. Yeah. Because the best songs I feel like were written by people that didn't know that they could write them. You get done with this. I'm sure you've experienced this. You get done with a song and you're like, I fucking made that? Yeah. Fucking sick. Yeah. God. I like, I can't believe I did this. It's a really cool feeling. That's where a lot of that confidence that comes after you finish something because you're kind of, you, you're almost in disbelief of yourself and your own talent. And it feels good. Yeah. It feels and, really good. And it's cool because it's almost like you just slipped into it. It was just like It's a flow accident. state. Yeah. yeah. It's 100% flow state. I feel like anything in a creative discipline has 100% to do with flow state. Anyone who's really trying fucking sucks. Yeah, I, I agree, man. You know what I mean? And there's something to be said about the flow state. And have you ever seen the movie Soul? Disney Pixar? Oh, I have. What a good fucking Dude, movie. Dude, one of my favorite movies. Of and like, I love that like they made animation. him a jazz pianist because yeah. I've been really getting... And I've always loved piano and I've played a ton of piano. But I've been really recently getting into piano and jazz chords and like 
feel and dissonance. You yeah. know, like a lot of these jazz music concepts that have so much versatility in so many different other genres. One of the, the best people to explore jazz and how it can apply to hip hop and pop is Tyler, the creator. Oh yeah. Tyler, the creator is massively jazz influenced and mm -hmm. in his, both his pop records and his hip hop records, it, they're dripping in like the fucking nastiest, most dissonant uh, chords and some really interesting key changes and some there's this concept that I've been playing with recently. Well, you know, there's dissonance in chords where there's like there's a perfect minor or a perfect major. Yeah. And then you can add diminished. You can sus to um, add nine. You, there's a lot of things you can do to chords to make them kind of sound jazzy and like just a little bit dissonant. There's also dissonance in rhythm. And I feel like that has to do with push and pull when you hear like like a like a pocketed backbeat. Yeah. And that feels like right just right off the meter and it's not it's if you listen to the metronome it's not right on the yeah exactly there's a bit of dissonance yeah in the rhythm sometimes two notes are closer together than they should be sometimes they're too they're they're further away than they should should be right but whatever, that adds whatever the, the rule feel. Is supposed to, yeah it's feel yeah a lot like a diminished add nine fucking 11 finger chord might sound fucking terrible by itself, but in the context of a whole chord progression in a song it sounds incredible and it's extremely transformative. Yeah. Dude. And it gets you from one place to another. Yeah. And jazz musicians, they're just wizards when it they comes are. to that stuff. Some, some of my favorite people to play with, some of my favorite musicians on my roster are people who are fucking excellent at jazz music. Yeah. And those, those are always like some of the most, you know what I find, you know how we were talking that about earlier. There's some people who can read, music really well and they can play a chart and there's some people who are entirely feel yeah a lot of the people who can marry the two who are feel and they're good at sight reading and, and knowing a lot of music theory but they're also like fucking feel the music when they're playing it are my jazz people yep the my jazz people are the musicians who can really fucking they can do a lot and they're very versatile for sure yeah and that's a that's interesting because when you were saying that, I was like, who is that person? But that's exactly who it is. The jazz, jazz. musicians and like the gospel musicians. Like, yes, for sure. Like church musicians. Yeah. A lot of them have that where they're technically trained and like uh, theory. And then they also have the a feeling that feel. just comes from the heart. And I feel like the, they extend from the gospel and the jazz genres mm -hmm. because to play those genres, you have to be a competent, well-read musician. Yeah. And then on top of that, you also have to have feel. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, something that like I didn't really put together until just now when we we're com like almost comparing gospel and jazz. Mm. There is a certain level of improvisation that comes with gospel and jazz that. Oh, you, for sure. That you need Think to about be. a preacher. Yeah. Hit me one time. <laughs> yeah. Hit me two times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Or like even like taking stage direction and then kind of like knowing like um like certain um like chords and like being able to move between chords and yeah you gotta know that. what your bassist is gonna do and your pianist so you can sing to it and, and and vice versa between all those instruments and disciplines when you're playing together yeah yeah because yeah. if like if you're moving through like a a minor g d chord progression but he wants to he wants like a four bar extension on the d and he wants to key change up a half step you you got to be able to communicate that with your singer your your bassist your drummer and everyone 
just through looking at them while you're playing while you're playing yeah. in real time that's crazy and gospel musicians yeah. are no fucking joke and you know yeah. it's so funny i love that we d- did this little tangent all the way over to gospel music i didn't expect us to get here <laughs> but a lot of the musicians that i play with play at churches yes dude. and a lot of the really good high paying consistent work every wednesday saturday and sunday places like ccv um I, I can't name all the churches off some of my head. I can only think of CCV, but there's a ton of churches that pay artists really, really well here in Arizona. Damn, I didn't know that. A lot. That's cool, there's man. There's a lot of work for artists at churches. That's what's up, man. I actually yeah. know someone that plays for their local church as like the drummer, but I didn't know it was like a real thing. Like more some don't pay a lot do. Yeah, that's Or at cool. least a lot of that I've heard of. I, I really don't go to church myself. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, myself. I, I grew up in the church, and so I was actually, I was part of like uh, music and stuff in church. Oh, cool. Like, well, like... Uh, briefly like yeah. i um was involved because my uncle was the um sound mixer for our church oh cool he was, he was the audio engineer for yes he was the lifetime engineer. engineer yeah exactly I, mean, I love that which was really cool so i was able to like go early and like uh see them rehearse and stuff and see the band and stuff like that playing and um i remember something i talked about with uh my homie jackson that was on episode seven six episode six jackson mm-hmm. lee the first uh on mars session we were talking about because he grew up in the church and he grew up as a gospel musician. Yeah. And um, it's uh, something that he said that I thought was really funny that I can totally relate to is when he was growing up, him and his brother referred that uh, referred to people that played in the church having uh, gospel chops or gops. Gops. And I was like, damn, you know dude. what? I've fucking heard of gops before. I've heard of it. You've heard of gops? I've heard of people say gops. Dude, yeah. Well, that's in that when you said that, I was like, dude, I get that 100% because I can I don't like, even think I knew what people. they were talking about, too. Yeah, gospel chops, bro. Now I know. <laughs> gops, bro. But if you got them, you got them. And it's just like people like they can it's have so like true. the jazz chops, too, or it's like the jops. Um, There's less <laughs> swinging gospel. Okay, this is, I don't know what to about gospel music. So take this with a, with a grain of rice. But there's less swinging gospel. But I think there is like a ton of improvisation. There is. Like a lot. There there 100% is, especially when Because they're preaching while people are playing music. Yeah, and they got to keep things going. They have to move. Like like you were saying, it's like if you're in that chord progression, you want to extend and then switch up a half step transpose and then move into the next song on cue altogether without stopping the music. Yeah. And you're you're playing. Not only are you playing to a vocalist, bassist, keyboardist, all your musicians, you're also playing to the preacher. Yeah. You're playing... Yeah, you're interacting with the crowd. There's crowd interaction. It's yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of disciplines that transfer over from people playing gospel music in church to, you know, what I do, what Cash does, what just two successful musicians. Yeah. in general. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. So, uh, to kind of wrap up before we get into the session, yeah. bro. Um, the uh, we talked about your guitar practice almost being like a meditation. Mm. Do you have a daily practice like meditation or stretching or a certain regimen that you keep yourself in yeah. and keep yourself sane? This is something that I've been trying to develop recently. And I'm a person who really struggles with executive function just because I've had like really, really bad ADD and ADHD from like a very young childhood. So, But the hyperfixation plays into me being really good with instruments and singing. Because when I first started singing or playing any of the instruments, I, I actually had zero natural talent to sing. And all of it was developed through me just like banging my fucking head into a wall, just being like, sing better, sing better, like control your breath. Don't be as nasal. Like, mm. And me working with my vocal coaches and stuff. And recently, I've gotten into a more regimented practice. I've been, I've been actually sitting down and pre- practicing piano just because 
I'm going to very soon um, check me out at my live shows, whiteberry.net. Um, I'm going to be playing piano live here pretty soon Hell too, yeah, which is, is going to be really sick. I've been working on it for a long time. Um, but like routines, my, my biggest routine is just get up, get sunshine as early as possible. I like to fall asleep with my phone in a different room. Yeah. Um, wake up, make sure the first thing I do isn't look at my phone. Get some sunshine. Like I go on my back patio. I try to like look directly at the sun, not for a long time, but like sync those circadian or whatever it is, circadian rhythms, something like that. But it helps you regulate your sleep if you if you get up and you look at the. Yeah, I've just been trying to optimize sleep. I've been trying to do a bit bit better with a morning routine. I've heard that before. The sunlight before screen light is how they say. Yeah, it. I've never heard that, but I, but I do that. Yeah, no sunlight before screen light. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, it definitely starts your day off a lot better. Um, recently, I'm actually going to give a shout out to my mom's work recently, every Monday morning, and this has kind of been setting me up for my weeks and working. I'll go to this place called I cryo in Chandler. Um, it's incredible. They do. Uh, so I'll get in a cryo chamber at like minus 30 degrees for three and a half minutes, which is amazing. And then that'll also do infrared sauna for like, um, 30 to 45 minutes right after, right, right, right after, right after. And then other times they have compression therapy there too. Which is really good because I, I sit down and I drive a lot. I sit down a lot for gigs and I, I drive a lot for um, just for gigs, like going to Sedona or Flagstaff or whatever. And those are kind of hard on my back, those long, longer road trips. So the compression therapy is really dope for relieving some of that pressure. Um, but I've been going there every Monday. It's been like a really great way to start my week. And normally I like I, I try to get up, look at the sun, do something physical, drink some water, eat. I mean, it sounds so basic when I say it out loud, but like that's, if you can do all that before you look at your phone, I feel like you're, you're already making a, a really big um, step up too. Also, I delete the apps a lot. I delete and redownload them. For sure. Because I can only take so much yeah. before I kind of get overloaded. Yeah. So if I know I need to buckle down for a few days, I'll delete Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, fucking all the things that would occupy my attention that I don't need to occupy any of my attention for the next few days. They'll be gone. And then when I get to my weekend and I'm just playing gigs and I don't have to worry about it as much, I don't have errands to run, I'll redownload Instagram. I'll do some posts, interact with people, stuff like that. But I feel like don't feel afraid to delete the fucking app for sure. if you want a day or two break, you know? Yeah. And you have to disconnect to reconnect. Yeah, actually. And I feel like a lot of the short form content is dope for promoting music, but there's a flip side to it. If you, you can doom scroll for sure. A lot of people get caught in doom scroll sessions where you're just kind of there for like four to five hours. And you don't even necessarily like what you're watching. You just, you're like, you, you can't fucking get out of it's it. muscle memory. Yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah. To a certain extent, it is muscle memory. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I think it's like, even though you said like that routine is kind of basic, I think there's a lot of people that don't even do that basic routine. And I don't even. Well, it's, but I'm trying to. It's but. like, but we're all we're all human. We're exactly. all still learning. Yeah. We're still trying to find out like what works for us. And like, there's a lot of people do that you, have it locked in. Do you have in. a morning routine? Do you mind if I ask you? Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. What, what's your morning routine? Um, so I wake up about five thirty or six o'clock because of <sighs> fucking sick the dogs. I okay. Got, yeah, I got dogs, so they wake up. I early. thought you were just you know Jacko Wilnick or whatever his fucking name <laughs> Jacko Wilnick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, so I wake up around 5.30 or 6 and I make sure I get outside with them as soon as possible and then I feed them and then okay, I cool. take them back outside afterwards and then I'll, uh, I'll stretch at, well, after I brush my teeth 
I like to attach things to certain things. So it's like I'll brush my teeth. That's smart. And then attach like once I brush my teeth, right after that, I'll go straight into a 10-minute stretch. Once I finish this 10-minute stretch, I'll go straight into 10 minutes or 15 minutes of meditation in that same place. Um, That's sick. And this what is, kind of meditation are you doing? Headspace. Headspace. Yes. Headspace is great. Everyone uses it. Not, and this, this is not me shitting on Headspace. A lot of people I know use Headspace. Yeah. And it's like, and I think the only reason why I use Headspace is because it's so, it, like the user interface is easy. Yeah. And it's like, it's all organized. So it's yeah. like, all I got to do is just press play on yeah. it. And like, I like guided meditation. Guided meditation is um, great. Because I've been... I've been in meditation. There's been phases. There's mm -hmm. been there was a time when I first really started meditation in 2018 uh -huh. where I was like uh I was really deep in it. And I was like every day and I think I had a streak like cuz on had on um on something it was like I was actually I was manually logging my mm -hmm. streaks on an app called like mindfulness or something. Mm -hmm. um, Cuz at the time I didn't have the Headspace app. Yeah. I just had the Headspace audio files. Um, so I was using those audio files, but then marking every day that I did meditation. I was on like a fucking 100, 200 day streak or something like Amazing. that. And it's just like, I felt so good. And I was like in a place where I was like, I was running every single day and I was like playing basketball every single day and like being super physical. Um, and that was like my best version mentally. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously we all kind of go some, through our yeah. uh, highs and lows. Peaks and valleys. So like now I'm finally... Um, Thankfully, getting to a point where I feel like back into that into that, that move of like everyday type shit. Um, and I think that's like something that I feel like really, I kind of had a, yeah, a similar important. experience recently where last year when I first started when after July happened and I had 30 gigs in a single month for the first time, I was like my my throat was fucking killing me. And I found out the steam room at gyms really helped. So I was just going to the gym. Mm. And I started going to the gym with my homies. And I never really exercised like that before. But I was like consistently exercising almost every day. And yeah. Going in the steam room or sauna for like six months straight. And I felt fucking incredible, man. It's insane how much better you feel when you didn't even know that you would like mm -hmm. feel like this. And now I'm starting to get back into it. And now yeah. I'm doing like the, the infrared sauna and the cryotherapy. And I'm doing some cardio when I when I can find the time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I feel like the morning routine and I love hearing about your morning routine. Your morning routine sounds, sounds very sick. I feel like if I had your morning routine, I could, I'd be Elon Musk tomorrow, but <laughs> my morning routine is like, I, it's like 50% accomplished rate and half the time I'll just, I'll, my guilty pleasure is wake and bake just cause I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And I still love weed and I'll probably always smoke weed, but I definitely, I feel like there's a direct correlation between my productivity and me smoking weed. Crazy to say it loud, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I don't smoke weed in the morning and I do a ton of things that are like some self-care routines and I start my day and I have a good day and then I smoke my joint at the end of the night, that's kind of like a little glass of wine, just a little mm -hmm. accoutrement on top of the day. <laughs> yeah. it's It feels way better. For sure. Rewarding dude. yourself in that way feels way better. Dude, and you know, it, it's funny when you say that because I, I smoke weed too. I was in the cannabis industry. We can smoke a joint after this if you'd like, by Absolutely. the way. I have half done. a joint in my car. <laughs> Perfect. No, I got some stuff here too. Amazing. Um, so, but dude, I, I'm 100% with you on that where it's just like the clear mind like of not smoking in the morning because I, you know, was similar in that like the wake and bake just yeah. because it's just like a, a, I don't know, I hate to say habit, but it's like just 
part of like the routine yeah. in a way. What did you smoke in high school and yeah. get high <laughs> in the mornings with your friends? Of course. There you go. And that's yeah. it, and that's it. And it's funny because like the wake and bake that was classic, but it's like now as an adult, like almost thirty years old, I'm uh-huh. able to physically see the difference. And it's just like I'm able to feel the difference in like my productivity and my getting shit done-ness. You know what I'm yeah, saying? For I sure. guess that is productivity. But it's just like if you uh if you have that self-discipline to mm-hmm. like almost delay the gratification of yeah. smoking. 100%. It's like almost like more reward. And it'll kind of make you go harder at your other things. Your run in the morning and your stretch and your coffee and like you're running your errands in the morning. Are you're gonna I feel like go that much harder because you smoked that joint last night at 7 p.m. after you got everything done because you know have that you have that routine of looking forward to that. Yeah. So it's almost like taking something that would normally bring someone down and make them unproductive and using something that would make you unproductive and it makes you more productive yes because it's the reward exactly you know it's like yeah it's for sure and it's like having that mindset of like the reward at the end of the day versus like just part of like my day throughout the day yeah yeah and more people need to be like honest with themselves about the stuff man for sure a lot of people (laughs) are just smoking weed and pretending like it's fine to do 100 of the time for some people maybe it is I'm, I'd make the argument for most people it's not. Yeah. Honestly. For sure. And this comes from someone who loves to smoke weed. He's about <laughs> to smoke weed with this guy right here. But hey, indeed, man. fucking, I mean, it's, it's bags of Doritos or donuts. If you're eating too many of them, you're going to become a fat fuck. Yeah. You know? And yeah, moderation is key. Moderation is key in all things, you know? Yeah, dude. Well, shoot, let's get into it, man. So today, uh, you know, for the second time ever, we have another On Mars session. Uh, Wyatt decided to play some music for us today. Um, So we're going to go ahead and get that set up. We might have to do a little cut, but uh, yeah. I'm going to just plug in, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the guitar? Yeah. No, I can't hear the guitar. I think it's recording though. Yeah. Might be peaking too. I can turn down if you want me to. Okay. Let me give a little introduction of the song. Absolutely. Yeah. So today, um, what song are you going to be playing for us today? So this is one of the first songs I ever learned to sing and play on guitar. By my favorite band of all time, City in Color, um, sang by my favorite songwriter and vocalist of all time, Dallas Green, um, and it's it's a fucking hauntingly beautiful, extremely well written alternative blues song. Um, What's it called? Uh, Coming home. Coming home. Oh, I said all that without even saying the song. I don't. Maybe you did. I don't. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Coming it, home. Yeah, the song is coming home. My fellow Martians, White Berry performing, coming home by City in Color. Thank you, bro. I've been down to Georgia I've seen the streets in the west I've driven down the 90 Hell, I've seen America's best Well, I've been through the Rockies And I've seen Saskatoon 
I've driven down the highway one Just hoping that I'd see you soon Cause I'm coming home I said I'm coming home Coming home I've never been to Alaska But I can tell you this I've been to Lincoln, Nebraska And hell, you know it ain't worth shit Well, I've been through Nova Scotia Sydney through Halifax But I'd never take any pictures Cause I know I'll just be right back Cause I'm coming home I said I'm coming home Coming home I've seen a palace in London I've seen a castle in Wales But I'd rather wake up beside you And breathe that old familiar smell I never thought you could leave me I figured I was the one But I understand your sadness So I guess I should just hold my tongue Cause I'm coming home I said I'm coming home Coming home And although we're taking chances You told me life was a risk And I just have one last question Now will it be my heart, or will it be his? Cause I'm coming home, coming home, coming home, coming home, coming home. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having me, bro. This that was, this was a ton of fun. Yeah, of course, dude. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Thank you for spending the time. I've been time, saying all dude. day, no vocal warm ups, <laughs> dude. That was amazing, dude. Very raw. Your uh, your tone is great, Thank dude. You. Like, yeah, I, I love was, it. I put man. this back with the, the guitar chords. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we'll leave that on for a second. But dude, no worries, please, dude. Thanks again for coming yeah. on. Um, let's, my pleasure. You know, like send people out. So Wyatt Berry online on Instagram at Wyatt Berry, and it's B. A R R Y. Yeah, on Instagram. And in the link in my bio is my, uh, should just be my link, has all my stuff, has my calendar on it. Please go buy merch. It's the biggest and best way to support me. Um, yeah. Um, and when this pod comes out, my song Hold On is going to be out. We're also going to be selling a limited run of these Hold On shirts. Um, that's me. 
and they can find that at whiteberry.net. Uh, I I fucking wish. It, <laughs> you got to go to my Instagram and click the link. Okay. It's on a Printify shop right now. We're still figuring out all the kinks with the merch. Hopefully by the time this comes out, we got all the kinks worked out. But um, please go buy merch. Go support me. Come to a show. Um, if you if you enjoyed if you enjoyed the music, um, or you listen to me on streaming services and you really want to support me, my Cash App, my Venmo, is in my link. That's also a great way to support me. If you if you don't want to spend, you know, a you know I think it's thirty five for a shirt, um, and you want to uh, tip me directly, please do that. Would help out a ton. Um, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Yeah, support your local artists, man. I mean, 100%. this dude is a hard worker. He's doing, you know, so many shows a month. If you're in the Scottsdale, uh, Phoenix area, mm-hmm. wherever you're at in Arizona, come check this dude out yeah. locally. Um, check out his single, Hold On, now available on all uh, streaming platforms. Uh, follow me on uh, Instagram at OnMarsPod. Go to OnMarsPod.com, and we will see you guys next time on Mars. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and watching this episode of the On Mars Pod and for sticking around to the end, man. I really appreciate you guys. You are the real Martians. Like this video, comment below what your favorite part was, what was most inspiring to you. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that bell for notifications here on future interviews coming out soon. And also follow us on Instagram at On Mars Pod. Love you guys so much. We will see you next time on Mars.